Hey friends, it's Steph Bart. How are you doing? Oh, Pinch Punch, first day of the month. We got ourselves a 1st of June 2022. How are you guys doing this evening? What's on your mind? What are your thoughts? Now, it is true that the Johnny Depp verdict is in, and we got a 10, and we got a 2. He's got 10 mil, she's got 2. And I think there's another 5 thrown in there somewhere, but I don't know. It's interesting. So, I mean, I think there's a fair amount to talk about that. But uh, before we get to that, you know, who matters in this conversation? Me a smidge. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But you even more because you are the glorious listeners who make all of this brain-spanning voodoo possible. Uh, So, um, if you have any thoughts, any comments, any questions, criticisms, issues compliments on my eyebrow grooming whatever is on your mind just hit yourself the raise your hand to talk you can also raise your finger i'll accept that as well and if you have something on your mind man i'm happy to hear from you first before i do my thing frederick you're gonna have to unmute but i'm all ears brother if you got something on your mind what's on your brain good evening sir stefan good to good to be talking to you again Thank you. We we talked last year. I found myself in a depression back then, and a shit ton happened since then. I'm happy to say I have moved past that depression about one and a half months ago. And yeah, I took some therapy as well during that period. And it so happens that I have began dating, right? I was the guy who never asked out a woman in his life. And um, I actually began working with a dating coach. And, but I also happened to come across a very special woman online on a language exchange application because I'm also learning Spanish. And we have been chatting every day since. Um, it's only four days. And today we had a first like really um, kind of a tough conversation. So we always went pretty deep in all of our calls. But today there was something that quite upset her and upset me as well. And this relates to what I I think I heard in on your show. And so I'm curious to hear what your take is on it, on that. And so go for it. Yeah, I'm a little anxious right now. Mm-hmm. We well, only... this should beats being depressed, though, right? I mean, if you got to choose between the two, I think anxiety gives you a little more fuel than depression. But yeah, it's fine. Go, go for it. Uh, I'm interested. Uh, take your time. So we talked about marriage. Like, we were, we're talking about all of the big things already. And Wait, sorry. You talked about marriage like as an abstract concept? Because, you know, this four days into chatting, it may be a little soon to talk about getting married. But you mean like... Are you interested in marriage or do you like marriage as an institution? You mean that kind of thing? I guess you could say so. Yeah. No, we're both looking for for a partner to marry. So Hang on. Why 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 are you passive aggressing me, Bo? <laughs> Bro? I mean, I guess you could say so. This is your story, man. I'm just trying to I'm trying to follow and understand the parameters. I think what I mean, did you guys talk about getting married to each other or did you talk about, you know, Marriage is a goal that we, you know, you and I have, you know, not as, as a general thing. We are considering each other as partners, as potential partners. So do you, wait, we're do you mean marriage questions. partners? Marriage or partners. dating partners? 
<laughs> what do you mean? Don't you start dating and then you marry? Isn't that? <laughs> yes, that that is true. But I'm trying to understand. In in it's not a criticism. I'm just trying to trying to understand, right? Which is, you've known the girl for four days. Now, listen. If if you're interested in someone romantically, then it's good to say, you know, like if, if you if you're a guy who wants to get married, and you are interested in dating someone, you say, I mean, you can say, of course, uh, that, yeah, I mean, my goal in, in life is to end up married and, um, you know, I'm not just interested in flings or one night stands or whatever it is, like uh, my goal is to get married and to make sure that you both have that as a general goal or a general idea. Or you can say, if you start to become really interested in someone romantically, you can say, you know, if you want to have kids, say, yeah, I mean, my goal is to get married and have kids uh, in the long run. And and you can check whether the person has the same goal. If the person is like, oh, I never want to have kids, then you want to pump the brakes and get out before you start wrecking your heart. So if it's the general conversation around what your life goals are and to make sure there's some compatibility, that seems like a good thing. On the other hand, if it's like, I've known for you for four for for uh, I've known you for four days, but I could really see you as a wife. That seems to me not quite as good, if that makes any sense. So I was just trying to differentiate the two. Mm-hmm. I'm having a little trouble getting the difference, since yeah, we're we're exploring, we're we're asking each other about our life goals, about our dreams, about what we want, as well as what love means to us and what marriage would look like ideally for each of us. Does that make sense? I, I mean, obviously we've only known each other for four days and she lives at the other end of the world. And so, yeah, I get that, but we're just, we're building a friendship. Well, no, it's not quite a friendship thing. If you're talking about marriage goals, as as a general thing, right? I mean, it's a bit more than a friendship, right? And again, none of this is a criticism. I just want to make sure I understand what you're talking about. Because, listen, I'm not saying you're one of them, but there are some people out there that go through something called fusion, right? So fusion is when you basically, you meet someone, you have no boundaries, uh, you, you know, the kind of thing, you've heard me talk to people like this, you know, we met and then I moved in a week later and then, you know, like we started yeah. planning our life together the week after that and, you know, they just kind of really glom onto each other. It's like two jellyfish being fl thrown together. They just kind of merge into one blob and those, that tends to work out really badly as a whole, right? Because you, you have um, commitment and you have vulnerability and you have uh, bonding before you have trust, and reliability and so on, right? So listen, I'm just trying to watch you back here and make sure that I know which which side of the category you fall in. If you, you know, it certainly is sensible to talk about life goals with someone you're romantically interested in. On the other hand, if it's like, you know, we've known each other for four days, we're perfect for each other. We should start talking about when we can get no. married and what marriage would mean to it. Like that might be a bit no. fast. That's all I'm saying. No, yeah, you you got it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I totally interrupted your story just to give that one a quick fact check, but, uh, you know, plow on ahead as if I hadn't <laughs> been so intrusive and interrupting. Go ahead. So I don't know how we exactly we came to it, but she, the question came that she asked me, and I'm still a little confused about this, but she, she asked me, 
whether when when okay so so yeah it's it's about the marriage contract if you enter a marriage the man expects the woman to be able to have children right because he wants children and she wants children as well they enter enter the marriage they they form the marriage bond and then it turns out that maybe she is infertile or he's infertile what do you do is it just is it okay for either of them to file for divorce because they are not able to fulfill their originally set goal of making a family and now i think i remember you saying and please correct me if i'm wrong on that that yes that is is a possibility that it's that is just that is okay to do that if for example, she turns out to be infertile to say, sorry, but I entered this marriage with the expectation of having children of my own. And since that's not possible, I want to move on and find a different partner. Now, yeah, like I Henry VIII, right? I... Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, it's, this is not a foundational moral issue, right? So being married, staying married or getting a divorce, if you get a divorce, it's not a violation of the non-aggression principle to get a divorce, right? I mean, unless you get a divorce mm -hmm. by burying your wife in the backyard in a bucket of lime or something, right? So, yeah, getting a divorce is not a violation of the non-aggression principle. Now, if you have made a solemn promise that you're going to be with this person forever and ever, amen, until death do you part, in better or for worse, in sickness and in health, whether there are kids or whether they're not. In other words, if you have made a commitment to the woman to say, look, I love you, I want to have kids with you. But if you turn out to not be able to have kids, I still want to be with you because you're more important to me than the kids. Okay, that's, you know, perfectly fine, perfectly valid. Now, this verbal contract, it's not like signing a contract with a cult, right? I mean, you can change your mind. And this happens all the time. It happens all the time. So, for instance, a lot of women will say, I don't really want to have kids. If they meet a guy who doesn't really want to have kids, I've talked with these couples before, right? So the woman says, I don't really want to have kids. Now, maybe she just really loves the guy or was really attached to the guy or really wants to marry the guy and the guy doesn't want to have kids. And she's like, and she says, you know, with reasonable honesty, because you can't say with perfect honesty what you're going to want or not want in five or 10 years, right? So they get married at 25 and they have a good old life and they're chugging along and, and then, and then she starts to get baby rabies, right? Which generally happens to women in their early to mid-30s. And baby rabies is a seriously powerful force of nature. Some women have described it as, you know, you, wanting to have a baby. It's like constantly needing to pee or constantly being hungry. Like you just have a hunger for a baby and you can't think of anything else. And you burst into tears when you see a baby. And, and you just have this unbelievable, like, craving to, you know, to, to have a baby and so on. Now, if she and marries her husband with the goal uh, or with the idea they're not going to have kids. And she genuinely at the time doesn't really feel that kids are that important. Well, guess what? You can change your mind. You know, you, you can change your mind. And now she may then say, look, I, I'm aware. I, oh, man, I, I really didn't think I was going to end up like this. I really didn't think I was going to end up wanting to have kids this bad. But my God, it's like, gravity it's like a force of nature i am dying to have kids can we renegotiate right and now if if you if you do renegotiate that's fine you you can renegotiate anything you want in a relationship you can change your mind 
you know, somebody might enter into a relationship that's a, an open relationship, and then they may say, I love you, I don't want to share you, I don't want to be shared. Can we renegotiate this to be a monogamous relationship? I guess it could happen vice versa, but that's just kind of gross. But <laughs> Right, so you you can't strip away your free will by making non-moral commitments binding forever, right? So there is a moral commitment called, I don't know, don't kill people. Yeah, okay. I don't want people saying, well, I have free will with regards to that or whatever, right? Don't don't rape, don't assault, don't don't uh, steal. Yeah, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm perfect. But that's a thou shalt not, which is quite a bit, you know, if I just say there's only one spot in Baltimore you can't go to, the rest of the world is yours, that's leaving you pretty much all of the world, but if I say you can only go to this one spot in Baltimore, that doesn't leave you anything except that one spot in Baltimore. So thou shalt not is uh, very liberating rather than thou shalt, right? So I really, you know, people make commitments and those commitments are important. But those commitments, again, outside of rape, theft, assault, and murder, right? Those commitments should not... Strip your free will forever. Should not. So if you, at the age of 23 or 24 or 25 or whatever, if you say, I don't really want kids or it doesn't matter to me or I genuinely don't want kids, okay, that's fine. But that doesn't mean that now you are forbidden from having children for the rest of your life because you, like, you can change your mind. That's free will, right? You can change your mind. In fact, having people change their mind is a pretty delightful part of relationships because it means that people stay fresh, it stays new, they stay interesting, and so on, right? I mean, uh, in my uh, marriage, right, I was a writer when my wife met me. And then I got back into the software field and was a software executive. And then I'm a podcaster. <laughs> so yeah, I changed, I changed my mind. So you can do that. Everything's open to renegotiation. So if you, you, you can say to a woman, I really, really want to have kids. And yes, if you're infertile, that's going to be a big issue, right? That, that may be a deal breaker for me, right? And because for a woman, being infertile is like a man not making any money. Can it be survived? Sure. Is it going to completely reconfigure the relationship? Yes. Might you regret it down the road? Yeah, probably, right? So you can say, look, I, I want to have kids. Now, that doesn't mean that if you can't have kids... And, you know, most fertility issues are women because the plumbing is just more complicated, right? So you can say to the woman, look, if you can't have kids, that doesn't mean that we get divorced, right? I mean, firstly, personally, of course, there's lots of options when it comes to having kids, right? There are fertility treatments. Right. There are surrogates. Uh, there is adoption. There are just lots of, lots of options. So you can say, look, I want to have kids. I'm going to be honest with you. Marriage to me is about having kids. If it turns out you can't have kids, and you know, 10% of married couples do struggle with fertility issues. But of course, if the, you know, the younger, the better for these kinds of things, of course, right? Mm -hmm. So you could say, look, if, if you can't have kids, that's a big problem. I don't know exactly how I'm going to handle it. Because, you know, you're not just going to wake up one day and say, well, you just can't have kids, right? This, you, you try, and you usually have to try for, what, six to 12 months before you even can get reliable medical help, and then, you know, maybe you'll get an explanation, maybe you won't, you'll try all these different things in vitro and so on. So it, it tends to be a pretty multi-year process. Now, how you're going to feel at the end of that multi-year process or during that multi-year process if you finally get the verdict or basically you run out of money or you run out of years and you just say, okay, well, look, kids aren't happening, you don't know exactly how you're going to feel. But... 
wanting to have children is a pretty important thing. I mean, I have a pretty great life, but my life would not be nearly as great without my daughter. I mean, just the way it is, right? I, I mean, it would be might be better in different ways, whatever, more books, more travel, but, you know, this is the way that I want it. So, you, but, you know, I think being honest is important. But you see, for women, this is tough. And I'm going to, I'm going to make a guess here, and then you can tell me if I'm correct. So my guess is that you, that she said, well, if you want to have kids, what if you get together with a woman, like maybe me, you get married or whatever, and she can't have kids? And then you said, well, you know, that would probably be a big issue for me. I might then get a divorce and, and then find a woman who can have kids and go that route, right? And then she feels all kinds of pained because then she's like, well, so that your, your love is conditional. And it's conditional for things that are, com- might, are probably beyond my control, such as whether I can get pregnant or bring a baby to term or whatever it is, right? So then she feels rejected the moment that you say, it's possible that infertility would be a deal breaker for me. Is it something like that that happened? You nailed it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Right. So tell me how the – give me a rough, rough overview of how the convo went. Yes. It's at that point that I could, I could see that she was in pain. Um, I felt pretty shitty as well. And she said that that is cruel, that she thinks that's, that's cruel. And she that's a totally jerky. That, that's a, that is a totally jerky thing to say on her part. I mean, I don't know how the conversation went, but assuming that you're reporting accurately, right? Saying that someone is cruel is not an argument. It's not communication. It's almost abusive. Because she's just labeling you as a negative and destructive person because you have a preference for children. And yes, it might not happen, right? You could be infertile for all you know, in which case she might leave you and Mm -hmm. find a man who's, uh, you know who can get one past the goalie. So, yeah, just saying that you're cruel if you are expressing an honest no, perspective about the purpose no, of marriage. Sorry, no, that would be cruel. It's not saying you are cruel. That would be cruel? So your decision to leave a woman who's infertile, that would be cruel, but you're not cruel. It's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you can't separate me from my perspectives or arguments or opinions. If you say, I mean, if you did say, I'm sure you did, right? You said, well, you know, it might be a deal breaker for me if the woman is infertile. And she says, that's cruel. Is that sort of roughly how, how the back and forth went? Yeah, not as strong, but yes. What she also says is that you know, we might not have the same view of, of love in that sense or of marriage because she's a Latina. And I, I guess that plays into it, like the cultural difference. Plays into what? Oh, is she religious? And so it is like a, you uh, making a vow before God? I have, I, I don't have, I don't know yet. We hadn't had the, the discussion about what her actual religious beliefs are. But yes, uh, naturally, like virtually every Latina, they, she grew up religious. Um, so... But but what stands out with Latinas is their loyalty, like above everything, basically. And so it seems like to to me that when she marries a man, she will stick with him no matter what. 
So, you know, even if you're... Okay, let's say you get hit by a car and end up brain dead. She going to stick with you for life? I mean, you can always make up scenarios in which you're going to get rejected. Always. What, what, if I get, what if I get a brain injury and my personality completely changes and I become violent and abusive? Are you going to stay with me then? No? Oh, then you don't really love me. Like, you can always come up with some scenario in which you're going to be rejected. But then trying to... I mean, that's, you understand? Like, <laughs> that's just masochism. I'm sorry, my computer just crashed, so I'm joining with my smartphone. I, I just missed out a little bit, but... Okay, I was just saying, you can always create a scenario, and it's kind of like a joke, right? I don't mean that your conversation was funny, but it's kind of like a joke, where the woman says, well, okay, well, let's, like, what if I gained 20 pounds? Would you still love me? Sure. The more the merrier, right? If, as long as it's on your left boob, right? Or what if I gained 50 pounds? What if I gained 100 pounds? What if I lost my hair? What if I lost my hair and my teeth? What if I got really crippling postpartum depression that just went on year after year? What if I was in a wheelchair? Like, it's masochism. To, to, you can always come up with some scenario where you're going to be rejected, right? And I guess the question is, on your fourth conversation... Why is she coming up with scenarios where she's going to be rejected and then calling you cruel for being honest? I'm not sure why I ha I'm hesitant to respond. I did not get the impression that... Um, hmm. All right, I think we're hitting on something here, but I don't know. Well, no, so to me, the more interesting question is if you say, I want to have marriage for kids, right? I want to, I want to have kids. I want to get married and have kids. And then she immediately says, well, what if I can't have kids, right? It was, and again, I know it wasn't quite that simple, but that was the general flow of the convo, right? I honestly don't remember. I'm, I'm always, okay, but so this is what happened as a whole, right? I'm not asking necessarily for specifics, right? What happened? Oh, okay, God. you can't fog out on me here, man, because we're doing this whole conversation yeah, based upon what you said <laughs> happened, and now you're like, well, I don't know what happened. <laughs> right, so you were talking about marriage. Again, if I've got something wrong, let me know. You're talking about marriage and kids, and you want kids, and she says, well, what if the woman can't have kids? You know, would that be an issue? Like, yeah, it could well be an issue. That's cruel. Again, something like that, right? No, really not. We, gosh, um, it certainly didn't go like that. Well, but... I, look, I understand it didn't go like that, of course. I'm not trying to quote <laughs> the, yeah, right. the conversation, but was that part of what was happening? Because that's what you said. You said it could be a deal breaker. And then she's like, that's cruel. Yeah, we, I was talking in abstract that, yeah, I would consider a divorce an option if one party turns out to be infertile. And that, yeah, that didn't land uh, well on her. Okay, but who brought all. up the infertile thing? Was that her or you? Me. Okay, so the conversation was, okay, so I think I understand this better now. So the conversation was, 
marriage is for kids. Marriage is great. Marriage is wonderful. And then you say, well, yes, but I would consider divorce if the woman, if, if the woman was in, infertile or, if, you know, or, or it could, a divorce could be understandable if a partner turns out to be infertile. Is that right? That's right. Okay. So I guess that's my question then shifts to you. My question then is, why are you bringing up divorce when, with a woman you're interested in when talking about the glories and beauties of marriage? Oh, yeah. Now I remember how, I, how we even came to that. I was asking her if if your spouse would like you to grow your hair out, would you do it? And she said, clearly, no, it's my body. Um, I can do with it what I want. Then I made the analogy of, well, if your spouse, you, the guy, decided to stop working and stop making money and supply for the family, that would then be his choice, right? By the same logic. And she disagreed disagreed with that, saying that it's the man's responsibility to supply uh, to provide, right? And that that's a different different thing. Okay, and what does but what does he get in return for paying the bills? What is the woman providing in return? Now the traditional answer is she runs a household to raise the kids, right? Mm-hmm. So she then has a responsibility to run the household, raise the kids. Like she can't say no to that, right? If the man can't say no to providing, that the woman can't say no to whatever he's paying for, right? Which is having right. running the household, raising the kids. Right. So I, I guess then after kids have been created, her beauty is not playing the largest role. Well, you have to remain attractive to your spouse. I mean, that's just that's just a basic I love you thing, right? Yes. You know, I mean, it, it, the men and women who get flabby, get fat, you know, whatever, right? Outside of medical issues, right? I mean, it's just incredibly disrespectful and destructive. Because you, you've you trapped the person into a monogamous sexual relationship, which means you have to stay fit. You have to stay attractive. You know, given the constraints of aging and all of that, right? So, yeah, mm -hmm. I will work out eight hours a week. In part to stay healthy and, you know, I like feeling strong and all of that. But it's also partly because my wife, of course, and I are in a monogamous marital relationship. So you have to stay uh, fit. I, I was talking the other day. I'm, <clears throat> I was saying, you know, uh, I was reading about some pill you could get to grow hair, right? Uh, if you're bald, right? And my wife was like, no. <laughs> you're bald when I met you. You're bald now. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the pill to grow hair if my wife doesn't want me to. So I think it's interesting that you said, what if the man wants the woman to have long hair? Should she have long hair? And she said, she said no, right? Mm -hmm. It's my body. I can do what I want. So mm -hmm. that's that's a feminist thing, right? That's why my mother is a feminist. Right. Right. So to me, if my wife prefers me bald, I'm staying bald. 
Like it's not even a, it's not even well you know I would be curious to see what I would be like with hair again. It's been a while, right? So I'd be curious, right? I think it would be interesting. It could be neat, right? Might I mean, it's been a long time since I've had to brush hair back from my forehead. I think it would be interesting. Maybe it would make me feel more youthful. It would yeah, it would just be interesting. But if my wife prefers me bald, I'm staying bald. Why? Because that's what she prefers. And if that's what she prefers, and we're in a monogamous relationship, I mean, it's interesting to me that she, she would say, no, it's my body, I can do what I want. So she's not that religious then, because in the Bible it says, a husband and wife are one flesh, right? You don't get to have an I in a marriage. You don't. There's no I anymore. There's no, well, it's my body, it's my this, it's my I. No, there's none of that. You blend. You're one flesh. You're two sides of the same coin. But she wants mm-hmm. to create this, what, rigid individuality where she's married and she gets all the benefit of the man making money and providing for her. And what responsibilities does she have as a result of all those benefits, right? She won't even keep her hair long if that's what he likes. He's paying all the bills, but she won't even let her hair grow. Come on. <laughs> It's not exactly the same amount of work, right? A man's got to work 50 hours a week to make $80,000 a year. The woman has to literally do nothing to let her hair grow. (laughs) It's not a massive thing. It's not a huge ask here, right? Just sit there and let your hair grow. (laughs) Just don't do anything to cut it. That's all. Now I get long hair is a little bit more work. Depends on, on the kind of hair. In fact, long hair can be less work for a woman with straight hair, but... Uh, yeah, it's just it's a kind of funny thing. Well, you you got to go to work fifty hours a week, fifty weeks a year. I have to not go to a hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> Which job would you want? <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? So yeah, I, I, that's a, a book I read many years ago by a woman named Daniel Crittenden. She was uh, talking about how uh, a husband and wife were playing uh, on a tennis team, right? They were, they were doubles in tennis. And the woman grabs her tennis gear and they walked out a, a fair distance to the court, right? And... The husband, I think, had some waters or something like that. And anyway, the, the, the woman, his wife, just had only grabbed her tennis racket and some balls, right? And he's like, wait, why wouldn't you grab my tennis racket? It was right there. And she's like, hey, it's your tennis racket to manage, man. And it's like, that's just kind of jerky. You know, like it's like a dinner. If, if, if after dinner, if you just, you're clearing the table, but you only clear your own plate, <laughs> and knife and fork and cup or whatever, right? That's just kind of just, you know. <laughs> I remember when my daughter was younger, she'd carry her plate to the kitchen. I'd be doing something and I'd be like, Is, do, you, do you see the other plate there? <laughs> and she's like, that wasn't my plate. It's like, yes, but you're eight, so... <laughs> Maybe you can get my plate, too, while you're doing it, if you don't mind. You know, it's not too much to ask. Right. Otherwise, you know, we'll go to McDonald's and I'll be like, oh, I'll order my food. If you brought money, you can order your own. But, hey, that's my money. My Like, come on. We, we share, right? Responsibilities and benefits, right? And so, yeah, this woman was talking just about how she was observing this. And it was just like, 
yeah, that's kind of jerky. You know, if, if you got to go, like, you're literally, there's two tennis rackets there. You go into tennis court. I'm going to pick up my tennis racket, leave this other tennis racket here and walk over, right? But that's your tennis racket. It's like, that's just being a douche nozzle. And, you know, if the woman says, hey, man, that's my hair. You don't get to tell me what to do with my hair. It's like, okay, that's my money. You don't get to tell me what to do with my money. It's like, just work together as a team. If the other mm-hmm. person in your relationship wants something and it's not morally compromising you, like you're not dating that serial killer from Monster played by Charlie Theron who's saying, you know what would make me really happy is going to do terrible, violent things. <laughs> as long as it's not a big moral compromise, <laughs> let's go rob a bank, right? It's like, <laughs> just do it, for God's sakes. Because if you're with the kind of person that's right for you or just right to be in a relationship at all, Generosity begets generosity. Generosity with the right person, and this is like not just right for you, this is like a decent person to be in a relationship with. Generosity begets generosity, right? Because this wife in the in the story, this woman, it's not a novel, this was like a real thing that happened, she says, right? The woman who grabs the tennis racket, you know what she's thinking? She's thinking, oh, he forgot his tennis racket, didn't he? Oh, he's just off there marching off. To, he, just, he expects me to take his pick up his tennis racket, carry his tennis racket. This is never going to change. I'm going to forever be in charge of the tennis rackets and I'm going to show him a lesson and I'm not going to... It's like, oh my God. That's going to... You're going to get divorced. Like, you're going to get divorced or you're going to wish you were divorced. It's like, just pick up the fucking tennis racket and take it to your husband. Because it's, it's so easy to look at things that you're better at in a relationship and say, well, I'm just contributing so much more, Right? My wife is fantastic at running a household. Like, and it's not the easiest thing to run this kind of household sometimes, right? So she's fantastic at running a household. So she contributes more in that way. Hey, man, if I see the dishwasher full, I'll empty the dishwasher. You know, um, uh, if I'm at the grocery store or heading that way, I'll call and see what we need, right? So I'm, I'm happy to pinch it. I'm happy to help, right? But she's fantastic at this. Now, my wife could look at the marriage and say, well, I just do so much more and blah, 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 blah. But there are other things I do more of. So generosity begets generosity. So if you're with a woman and and you say, you know, I really, really like your hair long. And why do I like your hair long? Because I'm a guy. And long hair means feminine. And I want to marry and would like to stay married to an actual woman who doesn't have some G.I. Jane buzz cut doesn't have some short-at-the-back Karen side-swept hairdo from hell. Yes, I would like some long hair because I'm a man and long hair is feminine. Right? That's... Now, if the woman says, hey, you want, <laughs> you want long hair, you got it. Because I love you and I want you to be happy and, right? You want long hair, you got it. Say to my wife, you want me to stay bald? Hey, bald it is, man. Bring me the bowling ball polish. That's what I'm up to, right? Because generosity begets generosity. Now, but if, if you're like, well, hey, man, it's my hair. I can do with my hair what I want. And you can't tell me what to do with my hair. It's like, okay, well, what, what effect is that going to have in the relationship? How generous are you going to feel? You know, I mean, we're, we're guys. We'll do anything for a really kind woman, for a really generous woman. We'll meet her generosity and triple it. That's just how we're built. It's who we are. But her stinginess, 
I don't know. <laughs> if I could stay bald, women can have long hair. It's just the way it is. Just, man, be generous. Yeah, if your partner likes something, just do that. <laughs> you know, it's just so much easier rather than weighing and fussing and fighting and measuring. So, no, what I would do is I would just say, you know, with her, you know, it's an interesting conversation. It's not nothing hostile about it. It's an interesting conversation. Say, ah, oh, well, that's interesting. Because you're like, okay, well, what about his income? And I get all of that, right? I mean, but but it's like, oh, that's interesting. So tell me, do you do you think it would be like a control thing? Like the man would force you to have long hair? Or like, would you do you feel like you'd lose your individuality if you did something to please your man? Do you do you feel like like just tr- explore that? That's interesting. How do you feel if if the man says I like your hair long? Do you feel controlled? Do you feel bullied? Do you feel like you're under the heel of the patriarchy? Like that's a very interesting question. I I would be fascinated to know if I was you know chatting with someone you know if it, especially if it's a quasi romantic thing. It's like how interesting. Help me help me understand this. Help me understand where you're coming from because. It's not my perspective. Doesn't mean I'm right or wrong. Doesn't mean you're right or wrong. But I'm curious to measure the distance, measure the gap, measure where we're different, right? Because you could be totally mm. right, right? So I think that question. Because when she, now let me understand something because I, I obviously missed something before in the conversation. So the conversation about fertility versus infertility did that come after the conversation about hair? Yes. Right. And do you know why that conversation came after the conversation about hair? Because because to me, I got the impression that to her, the marriage doesn't really change who you are as a person, like your degree of individuality. And I'm more of the opinion that, well, it's you're married now, so you're no longer just two people hanging out with each other, but you entered a contract. And so there is there there are certain expectations and also you literally you literally dynamic. mix you literally mix your bodies together to create a new person composed of both of you. Right? I mean for kids, right? So this idea that we're all so separate is like you literally have a person who came out of one person that is both of you. So Yes. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Yes, and she also and she also made made clear that uh, to her it it would be very important uh, to be able to travel solo, um, and it's a little odd because that's in the scenario where there aren't children, of course. Um, and to travel, you mean to have her own and, vacations to go somewhere without you? Yes, and I was a little confused oh by my that. Because God, really? Why would why, why would you? Wait, and so you guys are four days into having conversations and she's already planning separate vacations? <laughs> it doesn't really make sense, right? Because wh- why would you be... If you if you are married to a person who you don't want to vacate with, then that doesn't make sense. Uh, However... Exactly, exactly. No, but she, yeah, she, okay. might, she might be trying to be attractive to you. Well, I'm not codependent. I'm very independent. I'm not going to be too much of a handful. I'm not going to be you know, glomming onto you, I'm, right? She might be, maybe this is what she's told is attractive to men. It could be any, could be any like number it, of reasons, right? Yes, what, that's exactly it. Like she makes, she makes a point. Uh, she made a point uh, to emphasize the independence and to emphasize not being codependent. Right, and except she's perfectly happy to be codependent on your income <laughs> or an, a man's income, right? 
And how well, old is she? Well, if, if we have children, if we have children. Yeah, yeah, of course. That okay, makes and sense, how old right? is she? 23. So she doesn't know shit. She doesn't know shit. And no, no disrespect. I didn't know shit when I was 23 either. So at 23, <laughs> um, and no, is she in college? Is, is she like just finished college or she's in that process? She's in that process. Yeah, yeah. So she's just propaganda. She's just a propaganda bot. That's all she is. And, and again, no disrespect. Could be a completely wonderful person buried under all that programming. But yeah, she's just, she doesn't, she's not at the phase where she's thought for herself in any foundational way yet. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that these are, I mean, if I was talking to a 23-year-old with very predictable opinions based upon going to university, especially this, you know, don't need no man thing where you end up with all of the warning lights on your car lighting up at the same time eventually, right? So yeah, she's, she's just, uh, you know, just, you're, uh, you, were, you were a little older, do I remember that rightly? I'm 30. And, and okay. I disagree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Seven, okay. So seven, seven. Yeah, yeah. Please. <laughs> consider consider that the culture where she grew up like the country where she is growing up um normal thing is to marry early and to have kids very soon and she, but she is a virgin at 23 and that's uncommon she goes totally against the grain well not in terms of modern female independence cult right in the culture where she grows up that is no, no, but in terms of the culture. universities and, and what they're teaching all the kids in the university, all the young women in the universities, right? Look, I mean, it's not a Western university since it's a Latino-American country. Yeah, you don't think that the Marxists have made their way to Latin America? I think, <laughs> I think they have. I, I'm sure, but, but I'm saying I, I'm not sure it's the same as in Germany, for example. Right, right. Okay, okay. So, maybe, uh, look, maybe she has really thought these things through for herself right do you know if her parents it's, are married it sounds like it to me yes well are. i know i don't it's know a, don't a, know that he, uh, hang on i i don't know that she has i don't know that she has are her parents still together they are in fact they are okay and it's a bad marriage to them oh it's a bad marriage mm -hmm. and does she know why it's a bad marriage Yes, because there was abuse, because her father was very, very strict. Okay. So here's my guess. She's created a narrative that explains away her mother's abuse, her mother being abused, uh, as, as her mother was too dependent and couldn't leave. So I'm going to be independent, and that way I'm not going to be abused. Sounds reasonable. I mean, that's totally bouncing off the past. And the, I mean, this is, this is so one of the reasons why the female independence has become such a thing, right? And please understand, if you want to be an independent female, fine. There's more power to you. There's nothing wrong with it. If you want to be an independent male, fine. But if you want to get married and have kids, my God, <laughs> the, the idea that you're going to be completely independent and isolated and, and solitary and it's just you when you get married and have kids, it's just a weird delusion that breaks up marriages. It's just not, not the way life works. So what she's done is she said, and it's a very common thing, she said, my mother got abused now, her mother has to have a story about why she was abused, right? 
Why, mm-hmm. why, why, like, I assume that this woman saw her mother get abused. So the mother has to have a story. Here's why I was abused. Now, w- what's the actual fact as to why the woman was abused? What, what's the actual fact? The actual fact is that the woman is abused. The woman was abused because she chose an abusive partner. That's why sure. the woman was abused. But she can't say that. No. So she has to say to her daughter, well, I desperately wanted to leave, but I wasn't independent enough. He controlled all the money. He controlled all the resources. I, I couldn't leave. I wanted to. I, I couldn't leave because he controlled. And, and you've got to be independent so you don't end up like me. Right? This whole narrative of victimhood. As opposed to, look, every, you and I both know, man. Every reasonably attractive woman has at least 50 guys she can choose from when she's young. At least. At least 50 guys. And I'm talking women who are a six or a seven or an eight plus, right? The, the nines, the tens, they've got you know, thousands, right? And especially the age of social media and like you're talking to her from Germany, she's in Latin America, whatever, right? So every reasonable, reasonably attractive woman has 50 guys to choose from. Now, if she chooses the abuser or the guy she chooses is abusive, who's that on? Is it on the abuser? Absolutely. It's on the abuser who raises his hand against a woman. He's violated the non-aggression principle and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, absolutely. But who created the situation? If you have 50 people to choose from and you choose the abuser, yeah, the abuser did you wrong, but you created the situation. Now, handing back this kind of choice and responsibility to women is <laughs> it's not the easiest task in the world. But this is what I'm saying when she says she's not really, she doesn't know shit. She just, she's just bouncing off her mother's defenses. Because her mother chose a dominant guy, Latin America, right? Dominant guy, right? The Scarface guy, the guy who, you know, pounds tables and, and, and gets things done and, and uh, is a big meaty slice of <laughs> spicy manhood, right? And then turns out, hey, look at that. This high testosterone guy, this guy who's really aggressive in his pursuit of her, the guy who's really aggressive in getting what he wants and is the king ape of the neighborhood and blah, 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 right? Hey, turns out he's kind of violent. You know, like the 40% of cops who beat their wives kind of thing. Like, hey, they're real alphas. They're out there they're taking care of criminals and, right? Preventing people from saving their kids from shooting, shootings and so on, right? So the mom chose this you know, probably chest thump and alpha Stanley Kowalski dude who turned out to be abusive or didn't turn out to be abusive. I guarantee you that the signs were right there from the very beginning. And yes, he probably controlled her. You've got to grow your hair long. You've got to have dinner on the table. When I get home from work, you've got to do this. And she's like, okay, 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 because I, I'm just not independent enough. So then, of course, this woman comes along and some guy says, well, what do you do if you're if your husband wants your hair long, well, I'm not. I'm not going to let my hair. I'm not going to let my husband tell me how long I can wear my hair. Because basically, because I saw that with my mom, and I'm not going to do that. But that's not thinking things through your, for yourself. That's bouncing off your mom's defenses. Because the, the mom can't say to her daughter, "Choose a nice guy over somebody who makes you tingle." Because look, we all know this is the Fifty Shades of Grey thing, right? Guys who are really aggressive make women tingle gets their blood flowing to the nether regions. And women are programmed that way. Particularly in their fertility cycle, they tend to go for rougher men. When they're out of their fertility window, they tend to go for more gentle men. 
So in the same way that men go for hot women, women go for aggressive men. And the aggressive crazy matrix is exactly the same as the hot crazy matrix. Women going for aggressive men and then claiming to be mere helpless victims of abuse, it's like, you went for the aggressive guy. Did you think that aggression was only going to happen somewhere else, outside the home? It was never going to happen with you. It was never going to happen with the kids. It's like choosing a tall guy and expecting him to be short at home. The guy is the guy. And Latina women will often go for very aggressive men. And that's, that's the price. Now, can she say, look, you've got to go for a guy, equality of character, niceness, consideration, thoughtfulness, reasonableness, assertive, yes, aggressive, no. You've got to choose a different guy. I chose the wrong guy, and you suffered for it, and I suffered for it, and it's not my fault. It, it's, it's, not, uh, it, it's my fault that this family was created because women choose how the families are created. Women choose the men to be with. Women choose who they're going to date, who they're going to get engaged to, who they're going to marry, who they're going to stay with. And again, I know, you know, a lot of, I think it's in Ecuador in particular, a lot of priestly influence, a lot of, you know, together until death do you part. But you know that going in. So if you're going to stay with a man until death do you part, you know that right at the beginning. You know, I spend, I can spend... I would even tell you, like if I need to buy something technical, I mean, I generally do, right? A couple of times a year. If I need to buy something technical, like I just got a new mic and a new amp and all of that, I won't even tell you how much time I go reading reviews and looking up and checking and listening to audio samples and checking the feature set. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's kind of fun in a way, but it's a little ridiculous, right? Now that's just a mic and an amp or whatever. I bought a new camera recently because my old camera just couldn't get the color right and all that. So, Okay, but that's just a little piece of technical equipment I gotta buy, I can live with, I can return it, whatever, right? If you're in the Latino community, right, or whatever, like if you genuinely believe till death do you part, then you should vet the living hell out of whoever you're gonna marry because you can't ever leave them. And so a woman, and this is true for a man, gets married to a woman who turns out to be crazy, it's like, you didn't vet her properly and your family didn't vet her properly, and your friends didn't vet her properly, or if they did and told you you didn't listen, that's on you. It's the same thing with a woman. If a woman is going to get into a marriage knowing she's got to stay there forever, then she should vet that man insanely. Close, detailed, you name it. Everything about his family, about his character. And so she should vet. Now, I guess the daughter's vetting like crazy too, but she's doing the wrong, the wrong kind of thing. So the woman you're chatting with, this is what's interesting. This is the kind of conversations you can get into, right? If you, if you don't get offended and upset and mad or whatever and huffy and who oh, you mean, right? I'm not talking about you. I think it was a little bit more on her side. It's saying, oh, well, this is interesting. So um, why do you think you have uh, such a sense of independence? Or, you know, do you feel that if a man wants something, he's bullying you? Or like, you know, tell, help me understand. I mean, I'd like to really know. And mm-hmm. then she can get into some real really interesting conversations, and you can liberate her through curiosity. But what happened was, and again, I'll I'll let you correct me if I've gone astray here, and I'll shut up in a sec, but what happened was, you said, well, what if the man wants your hair long? I'm not going to let my hair long for some man, independent woman. It's my hair, my body, right? Okay, so, so then what happens is, you're like, oh, okay, so if the other person doesn't do what you want, you don't have to be nice, right? Because this is what she's saying to you. This is the mechanics of the conversation. I'll just lay it straight bare for you, right? 
So you say, well, what if the husband wants the hair longer? And she says, uh-uh, no way. Uh-uh, not going to happen, honey. Okay, so then if the other person doesn't do what you want, you don't have to be nice, right? So then if the woman is infertile, you don't have to be nice. You don't have to stay with her. Now, she already set up this thing, right? Because if the man wants the hair long, woman doesn't provide it. She doesn't have to be nice. She doesn't have to do what he wants. Okay, well, if the woman is infertile and can't provide the children that man wants, he doesn't have to be nice. He can move on, right? So you're simply mm-hmm. taking her principle and applying it consistently. And then she says, well, that's mean. <laughs> do, do you see what I'm saying? Yes, she was trying to make the case that it's different, right? That's it's the, well, the man's responsibility to make. Yeah, everybody, right? like everybody, does. The moment that you, the, the moment that the principle of your behavior bounces back against your interest, of course you're going to say it's different. Everyone, everyone has that impulse, right? Of course you want to say it's different. I mean, in in uh, this is a minor spoiler, so you can skip the next bit. In, in the new Tom Cruise. Uh, movie, the, the Top Gun movie, which is, I'll, I'll do a, a, a mini review of it, but not tonight. But Tom Cruise's character, Maverick, whatever his name is, right? His whole, the whole movie, he's saying to some guy, some fighter pilot, you know, don't think, just act. Just trust your instincts. Don't think, just act, right? And then later on in the movie, the guy tells something Tom Cruise dis- disagrees with, the Maverick disagrees with. And so he says to the guy, what were you thinking? And the guy says, you told me not to think. Just act. Well, that's, uh, you know. And now, to his credit, you know, the Maverick character was like, he didn't just say, well, this is different. This doesn't apply. He just like, well, that's actually a pretty good point. So, yeah, of course, of course she's going to want, like, when, when the principle of her action bounces back against her self-interest, of course, she's 23, of course she's going to say, well, that's different. Like, it's a magic spell that just changes everything, right? And, you know, if you like the girl, you can say, oh, that's interesting. Why, why is that different? Can you help me understand? I don't quite see it, right? Just be relentlessly curious. I mean, this is the book Real-Time Relationships, right? It's free. Just be relentlessly curious. Right? The, the, the three words of love are not I love you. It's tell me more. Tell me more. Oh, tell me more. Oh, tell me more. If the woman is allowed to cut her hair, is the husband allowed to gain weight? If in a marriage Mm -hmm. you don't have to do, you don't have to make reasonable accommodations for what the other person wants, what does marriage mean to you? Right? If I say, I love you, and you want something from me, I should provide it. You know, outside of moral considerations, but of course you'd never marry someone who wanted you to do something evil, right? It's like, no, you provide it. (laughs) Just provide it. My God, just give your partner what they want. You want my hair long? Yeah. Want me bald? I'll be bald. Especially, especially in that case, like just just don't go to the hairdresser. <laughs> yeah. Now I get women are going to say, well, but it's more work. It's the long hair. It's like, yeah, but it's still less work than working 50 hours a week, <laughs> which is what the husband's doing, right? I don't know. It's it's just it's a funny thing, you know. I uh, I've never I've never I've never really quite got this stinginess in relationships you know just give give the person what they want and be generous because 
especially dating, because if you're generous when you're dating and the other person takes advantage of you, you can get the fuck out before it's too late. Right? You go out on a date. Hey, I'll pay. Right? And you're just dating, right? Hey, I'm happy to pay, right? And you go out on another date. Oh, I'm happy to pay, right? Does the woman say, no, 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 you got the last one. We're just dating. You got the last one. It's my turn. That's interesting. Or does she keep smiling and saying, oh, that's very kind. Thank you. Okay, well, then you have an exploiter, right? Right, given that when you're dating, and, you know, I'm a novice when it comes to dating, um, you're not in a relationship, you don't have children, so it's not, it's more like a friendship at that point, right? So it's yeah. reasonable for her to pay. You you might end up paying, but she should at least offer. Right. Right? I mean, I, I have friends where we, we rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> Who pays, Right. But no, I mean, you got to offer, right? With their wives? <laughs> no, no, no. With, no, no, no. With each other. No, you know, I mean, there's, there's no one person paying in a marriage, right? It's not like, I mean, it's not like, you know, it's like, it's like saying one person, you know, pees. If you've got two people in a, in a bath and one person pees, it's not one person peeing. It's both people getting the pee, right? So, no, no, I just mean with, like, let's say I've got a male friend and, you know, we're going out with the families or whatever and, and uh, we can't remember who paid last. It's just like, okay, rock, paper, scissors, right? <laughs> We'll figure out who pays that way, right? And then, you know, we'll back and forth it a little, right? But no, just... Uh... So, yeah, the the woman, you might, you might pay for the first date. She says, thank you very much. On the second date, you offer to pay. She says, no, 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 no. And you might say, listen, it's my pleasure. I asked you out. Now, if she asks you out and, and it's the third date or the fourth date and she doesn't even offer, yeah, whatever. Right? I mean, I don't know. It doesn't really matter who ends up paying. It matters who offers and how serious they are, right? Mm-hmm. And, of course, you want a woman who's going to offer to pay because everything's transactional in life. And that's kind of, I think, what you were getting to in this conversation with this woman. Everything is transactional, like it or not. Yes. I mean, there is no platonic ideal love. Everything is transactional. So if the woman won't pay for any of your dates, then she believes that sexual access or the potential of sexual access, the potential for sexual access, that's her payment. Well, I'm not going to pay for dinner, but you might get lucky. It's like, I'm sorry, I don't want to date a prostitute. The reason a woman will pay, I'm, I'm not kidding about this. I know it's kind of funny, but I'm not kidding. A woman who thinks that sexual access is a form of payment and makes up for you spending 50 bucks on dinner or 100 bucks on dinner is a form of prostitute. There can never be financial considerations for sexual access in a relationship. That is absolutely verboten. Hey, look at that. Give you a little German word there, right? It's absolutely forbidden in love to... I mean, there's, there's some Mindy Kaling comedy from years ago, I remember, where she ends up with a pair of earrings or something like that, and she says, oh, this is the first pair of earrings I haven't had to give a blowjob for, right? Now, it's kind of funny, funny, but it's also, I mean, it's pretty grim humor, right? Because if a woman is saying, oh, you have to pay $200 for potential sexual access to me, 
She's saying that the price of my vagina is $200. Well, look, I don't pay for sex. I never have. I never will. I would never consider it in a million years. So the reason you want the woman to offer is so that she doesn't become a prostitute. And again, you may pay. You, you, it does, that doesn't really matter. She has to offer because everything's transactional. If you're taking a woman out a couple of times, you spend a couple of hundred bucks on this woman, on dating her, what has she provided in return? Okay, maybe she doesn't have much money. That's fine. Then she can cook you a real nice meal. Right? There's things that she can do, right? Foot rub. I don't care, right? <laughs> Whatever. It, does. it doesn't have to be a monetary thing. But there has to be an exchange of value for value when you're dating. And if a woman believes that sexual access is a form of payment, then she's in the sphere of prostitution. And she's entitled. And she will take you for everything you've got. Because she thinks, hey, you got to pay just to be in my presence. Just to be around me. you got to throw money at me. Well, that's no different from Venmoing an OnlyFans girl for a butt picture, right? So, yeah, no, you definitely want uh, want her to pay or offer to pay. Again, while you're dating, you, know, you get married or whatever, then that's all in the rear view, and you know you never, you know you never you never really think about these things again. You just you know make your money and you spend your money on what's necessary, and right. But no, no, you, you, you never, ever... The moment you're into paying for sexual access, um, the relationship is incredibly volatile at that point. Because she's devaluing her personality by saying, well, sexual access is the main reason you'd be paying, right? Which means I don't have an, anything really of, of personality value to offer. I'm not a good conversationalist. I'm not virtuous. I'm not considerate or kind or thoughtful. I just might give you sex, so cough up the money big boy it's like Ugh. i'm not saying that this about this woman i'm just saying that, that as a whole right all nice. right uh, any anything else that i can help you with in this in this area i think i'm good I'm, i think i'm good yes yeah, listen sounds like an interesting woman i mean i, I think it would be worth ha having a chat and you know apologizing because you went she went transactional and you went transactional right he's like well, what what if the husband wants you wants the wife to deliver long hair well, no. Okay, what if the husband wants the wife to deliver babies? Well, what if she can't? Well, no, right? It's, you just you became transactional, and, and that's, uh, I think that's interesting. That's interesting. All right, so let's, um, let's do a wee, a wee, a wee pivot here uh, and um, talk about this. Uh, actually, you know what? Let me, just, let me just ask you guys here. Let me just ask you guys here. Um, hit me with a Y. Uh, I'll put the message here. I want to make sure I'm talking about what you guys want to. Uh, hit me with a Y if you want some thoughts on... I, I do think it's interesting on this uh, Amber Heard-Johnny Depp trial thing which just resolved today. Uh, why? Hit me with a Y in the chat if you would like to. And if you don't want to, that's totally fine. You know, this is your, your time, your convo. I'm here to serve you. I will put out philosophy for you without even... A donation, although a donation would not be the end of the world. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. And also, by gosh, I just did chapter 41 of my new book. I just recorded that today. Wow, it's a tough book to record, man. Let me tell you, emotionally and in just about every kind of way. But anyway, it's really good, I think. So you can get that book at freedomain.locals.com. It's freedomain.locals.com. Uh, 
and yeah, it's a really, uh, really great book. It's called The Future, and uh, oh, culmination of my life's work. Yeah, kinda. <laughs> yeah, kinda. Yeah, kinda. Uh, Bruno, you know what? If you've got a question about love, my friend, the love, libertarian love, doctor, is around. Just raise your hand, man. And uh, sorry, deaf eye. We'll uh, we'll get to you next time. But yeah, if you've got a question about love, because. Uh, the Johnny Depp thing, it's going to lead into that, I feel it. So you got a question about love, you uh, you bring it up. Just uh, raise your hand, and uh, I will uh, I will unmute you, and you can uh, you can ask a question. You hate hearing about Amber? Have you had an Amber in your life? All right. Bruno, my friend, you will need to unmute, but I'm all ears, man. What's on your mind? Yeah, I can't hear you yet. Just try hitting the unmute. I think you are muted by default. Going once. Can you hear yes. me now? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, man. Oh, great. Uh, your definition of love is love is our involuntary response to virtue. If we are virtuous ourselves, where does that leave children, especially young children like toddlers and babies? Because they don't really have much choice. And if they don't have choice, how can they be virtuous? Well, yeah, no, I've uh, I've talked about this many years ago. Can we actually love our toddlers, right? So you don't have to worry about love with your babies because you get the oxytocin love bomb called bonding. So with regards to your babies, you don't have to worry about mature love because you're just going to bond with them. They're adorable. Their faces light up when you come in the room. They smile. They giggle. They play with you. They're fascinating and, uh, and so on. So, yeah, with regards to children, yeah, I mean, can, can you love a baby in the same way that you would love a hero? No, of course not. Your baby's not a hero. I mean, I guess they survived the womb and all, but yeah. So can you really love your children? No, uh, when they're very little, right? In, in the way that you would love your, your friends or your, your wife or your husband, assuming that they are noble and heroic and morally courageous and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and in the same way, in the same way, your children, when they're very little, they can't love you. Why? Because they have no choice. They're just born where you are, and they have to kind of put up with you. And so they can't love you in the same way that they can love you as they get older, right? Because as they get older, they appreciate your virtues. They see you doing good and noble things. You know, my, my daughter has seen me, uh, you know, confront abusive parents and stand up for the kids, right? So, you know, I think that that's... Maybe that's a positive thing for her, although I'm sure it's kind of alarming at the time. But uh, so, and she's seen me, you know, um, stand up to, to bullies in various situations. And, and so, you know, and, and stand up for kids and, and help people. You know, I'll occasionally read out an email I get, you know, from the Philosophy Save My Life people who write to me on a semi-regular basis. And so she knows that I'm doing a lot of, of good in the world and, you know, getting the occasional knockdown or try to knock down blows and all that and struggling forward. So now that she's going to be 14 this year, so she can appreciate some of the things that I'm doing. And I think that, you know, she's been growing into for quite some time, a more, um, uh, having a greater capacity to love virtue. But I mean, no, I mean, a toddler is attached to you and a toddler will respond to you positively, assuming that you're fun and enjoyable and so on and, and a positive influence or a positive, have a positive effect on that toddler's life. But no, they, they can't love you because love is also something to do with choice, right? And, and having values and virtues and the ability to understand 
morality and understand virtue and appreciate it and so on. So, yeah, no, I mean, when my daughter was born, I wasn't looking at her and saying, she must love me. It's like, no, we just yanked her home from the hospital and put her up in her house and she was kind of stuck with me, right? So uh, I, I know that she enjoyed my company and, and I know that because, you know, her face would light up. As I said, she'd smile and giggle when I came in the room and so I know she appreciated me, but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't an appreciation of my abstract virtues, which she didn't have a clue about. Uh, how could she? She was like I don't know a month old or whatever. It's simply because I was fun, <laughs> I was positive, I brought food, I you know I I was I gave her uh, a positive experience of being in the vicinity of me, and well it's the same thing. I mean, it's not like dogs. I mean dogs in a way, right? So dogs will appreciate your virtues insofar as you don't you're not cruel to them. You you um, uh, you play with them, you feed them, so they have a you you, you pet them, uh, and so yeah, they have a positive experience of who you are. And dogs have attachment because they're social animals, and cats might have an attachment, though they're not really social animals. They might have an attachment to you because you feed them and you you pet them and 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 so on, right? So, but that's and and you have to be a nice and decent person a lot of times to be good to animals and so on, because there are lots of people who are cruel to animals, but animals aren't understanding your abstract virtues, right? Like, I mean, if I had a cat, the cat wouldn't be saying, wow, you really stood up to these people. Wow, you really took some blows for the cause of liberty. Wow, you really helped people, even though it was tough at the time. A cat's not going to do that. Cat's like, I like it when you tickle me behind the ears and you give me food. <laughs> so that's not the same as love, which is not to say it's not a positive appreciation of having someone around, but no, that's not love. And the reason I say this, I know it's kind of shocking when people say, well, you can't really love your babies and you, you know, you can't really, your babies aren't going to really love you. Are you saying, oh, are you saying then there's no positive reaction between mothers and babies and fathers and babies? Like, well, of course there is. And we, we can actually measure this chemically. We can measure this um, hormonally. We know that there's massive brain dumps of positive chemicals in the brain, uh, in the brain from the brain to the body or from other systems to the body. You can measure these spikes in these um, love hormones and, and attachment hormones and so on. And it's the same thing, you know. I mean, man, I <laughs> my daughter loves ducks, right? So we're on our third round of ducks at the moment. She loves it, ducklings in particular. And yeah, the ducklings will follow you. Is it because they love you and respect your moral courage? No, they're just programmed to follow you because those that didn't got eaten. So is that love? So no, I don't think that as far as toddlers and babies... And, you know, I think that the love can start, you know, pretty young, certainly before the age of two, you can start to begin to get that that sense, right? Uh, like, so for my daughter, I mean, I remember this very clearly, sitting on the couch. I was feeding her, I was feeding her, and she demanded the spoon. I thought she was going to feed herself, but instead she dipped her spoon into the bowl uh, of, of applesauce, and she fed me. That's, okay, that was really nice. That was reciprocity. That was cool. It was a cool moment. It was really neat. So it starts pretty early, but it's first just now. The reason I say this, though, is not because I wish to strip the concept of love from parent-child relations. It's nothing to do with that. It's because I want to keep attachment and love and positivity between parent and child. Because if you're a mom, it's true for dads too, but let's talk about moms for a sec, right? So if you're a mom and you have a baby with the idea that the baby is going to love you, then you're setting yourself up for a pretty bitter relationship because it's not going to happen. The baby will be attached to you, but the idea the baby is going to love you and have loyalty to you, like when you're an adult, if, if your partner is in a snappy mood, you know, it's just something negative or something snappy that happens, 
I mean, you can deal with it. You can live with it, right? I mean, it happens to all of us and, you know, you get hangry or whatever, right? And you can deal with it and you can move past it, right? Babies don't have that kind of thing, right? They can't assess your behavior and, you know, say, oh, well, this is a deviation from the norm. It's not a big deal or whatever, right? They, they can't. So if you think that your babies are going to love you in the way that an adult person would because they appreciate your integrity and moral courage and loyalty and, and virtues and all that, well, then what's going to happen is, well, your babies aren't going to love you and you're going to get mad at them. You're going to feel disappointed. You're going to feel crushed. You're going to feel upset. You're going to feel exploited. Whereas if you go in knowing, okay, like the baby is going to grow into loving me over time, but right now they're just attached to me. They can't give me love in the way that an adult can or even an older child. They can't appreciate my virtues. All they know is what's good or bad for them in the moment, right? Right? Is my mother pleasing me in the moment? I'm hungry. She's giving me food. Good. I like her. Or she's a positive thing, right? Um, I'm bored. Is she playing with me? Yes. I like being tickled. Is she tickling me? Yes. Okay, then you have a positive response from the baby. But the baby's not evaluating your virtues. <laughs> They're not looking at your abstract moral qualities. They're just like, is this person positive to me? But if you think the baby's there to love you, you're going to get mad at the baby for not loving you. Because the baby can't love you. Baby's not programmed to, doesn't have the awareness, doesn't have the brain development, doesn't have any moral understanding or consideration. So if you're like, well, the baby's here to love me. Uh, finally, I'm going to have a man who's never going to leave me. <laughs> if you have the, ba the baby's not there to love you. Now, over time, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's there to retain your positive experience of your baby. You're there to take care of your baby, and your baby is there to guide you into how to best take care of your baby with smiles and crying. Right? If you're doing something positive for your baby, smiles. If you're doing something negative for your baby or your baby is uncomfortable, you get crying. Right? And that's how the, so the baby is programming you on the best way to take care of the baby. That's not love. And it's exactly what the baby should be doing. It's totally fine, totally appropriate, totally right. You wouldn't want the baby doing anything different. But if you think the baby's going to love you, well, the baby isn't going to love you because the baby can't love you. The baby can be attached to you. The baby can need you. The baby can smile and giggle and coo and be all kinds of wonderfully cute and adorable and great to be around. And you can have a massive attachment to that baby. And I hope that you do and you should. But I'm hoping, I, I'm desperate to retain a mother's positive experience of being a mother. And, I mean, to take a silly example, if you have a baby because you believe that the baby is going to help you sleep better, just get wonderful, you know, eight, nine hours of sleep at night, unbroken, uninterrupted, wake up perfectly refreshed. If you have a baby thinking that baby is going to really help you sleep well, what's going to happen? You're going to get really mad at the situation because you have a completely unrealistic expectation of what a baby can do or is therefore is going to happen when you have a baby. If you have this, oh, baby's going to help me sleep beautifully. It's like, no, 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 the baby's going to wake up, you know, five times a night. You're going to need to breastfeed and cry and could be colicky and they're going to need a diaper change at three in the morning and then five in the morning or whatever, right? So if you go in knowing that you're not going to get a whole lot of sleep early on, okay, you're tired, but you're not frustrated because you know what's coming, right? 
Whereas if it's like, I don't know, I was told, I mean, I genuinely believe the baby was going to help me get really great sleep and I'm just waking up five times a night. This is insane. Like, what's going on? Then you have frustration as well as being tired. And if you believe the baby's there to love you and the baby can't love you because the baby's just trying to survive, they bond with you, enjoy your company, can't love you, then you're not going to be frustrated by what the baby can't provide. Right? You're not going to be frustrated because the baby... It's like you have a baby. Oh, I can't wait to have great conversations with my baby. Oh my God, my baby's not talking. What's the matter? <gasps> Brain development problems. <laughs> no, no, no. Babies can't speak. <laughs> right? They can indicate they can't speak. So if you have the wrong expectations, then parenting becomes really frustrating. Really frustrating. And you get mad a lot. And then a lot of times you'll take that anger out on the baby. I mean, we all know this typical kind of story, right? This, it's a really typical and brutal kind of story. This happens with single moms, right? I've seen this interview about a million times. I've even had conversations with people about this, even on this show. The woman says, I was lonely. I had a baby. I was a single mom. I was lonely. I had a baby. I was a single mom. I had the baby to be loved and then they get really angry at their babies because they genuinely believe that the baby should love them baby's unable to love them they get mad at the baby they take it out on the baby that's wrong man that's so wrong so have the right expectations a child can grow into loving you the baby can't love you can be attached can't love you gotta you, you gotta reserve the word love for moral appreciation the baby cannot appreciate you morally you know, uh, uh, so the, the most Genghis Khan himself, if he was really nice with the baby, the baby would be like, you're the greatest guy ever, <laughs> right? Charles Manson, if he could be really great with babies, baby, like, you're the greatest guy ever. It's no, there's no appreciation of, uh, and there's no moral evaluation, right? They're simply good for me versus bad for me. That's all, all the babies care about. That's all they should care about, no issue. But that's, that's the major reason that, that I really push back on this babies are there to love you kind of thing. Now, of course, if you say, I love my baby, I, I mean, I get where you're coming from. I'm not going to sit there and say, well, technically there's no more, <laughs> right? No, I get that. I mean, I know what people are saying about that. But when you've, when, you've really, when you've really steeped yourself in and deeply appreciated mature adult love based upon virtues and values and moral courage and integrity and, and so on, right? When you've really had that incredibly heady wine and, and fantastic food of the soul... And then you look at a baby, you say, oh, cute as hell, and I'm totally bonded, but that's not the same thing. It's not even close. So, yeah, does that, does that help? Is there anything that I can make more clear? Oh, that's it. You gave me a lot to think about. Thanks, Seth. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Any last questionies, chatties? Before we go into... Into the thing... The thing itself. Dun, dun, dun. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> I always have that thing for that old Gossett de Tone Loke song. Wow thing. <laughs> let's do it. It's the way it starts. It always starts in my brain. These are things you don't even need to know. <laughs> I don't even need to know. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this thing. I think, you know, I think they're important lessons. And listen, I know, I know, I know that... People, look, and I have the same impulse. I think, I think we all do. Maybe it's just me. Well, I know it's not just me. but So we all have the same kind of impulse. And what's the impulse? The impulse is 
Something big is happening. How does this affect my politics, my zeitgeist, my worldview? There's a shooting. What's the race? Was it gun-free? Uh, was the FBI involved? Like, everybody's like, they grab this thing and they try and, like, Rubik's Cube fit it into their political agenda, right? I, I do it. You do it. I think we all, we all do it. And I understand the impulse. It's not always the wrong impulse, of course, right? But with this one, I mean, it's really divided people, right? It's really divided people. It's divided families, divided, just divided people like crazy. And the reason being that for the people who are on the left, it's uh, believe all women. Amber Heard was a, and this, right, this is, this, I'm just parodying these opinions, right? Just so everyone's perfectly aware, right? This is not all my opinions. I'm just sort of saying what I've read. So people are saying, oh, well, Amber Heard was a, a, a victim of patriarchal rape culture and abuse culture. And the moment she tries to stand up and, and push back, she gets slammed and uh, uh, slandered and lied about and attacked and defamed, and right? And it's just a Me Too hero in trying to shine a light on evil, horrendous masculinity and its horrible, destructive, toxic effects, and the patriarchy just smashes her down, this brave warrior of blah, 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 right? So that's the thing, right? Because, you know, <laughs> the world's nothing but toxic masculinity, toxic masculinity, right? And what they mean is that men vote Republican, right? That's, that's all, Toxic masculinity is just men vote Republican. Men want smaller government. Why? Because we pay the fucking bills. So, of course, we want smaller government, right? <laughs> Whereas women uh, vote for the left. So women are heroes, believe all women. It's, I mean, it's the usual... Fight for your side, attack the enemy, right? So toxic masculinity, patriarchy, blah, blah, blah. It's just, oh, yeah, okay, we get it, we get it, we get it, we get it. Men vote Republican, so toxic masculinity. Because, of course, if masculinity was so toxic, then all the young boys and girls who grew up without fathers would just be the best and <laughs> most well-adjusted and healthy people on the planet. Because, you know... If, if lead paint is really bad for you, then all the kids who grow up without any lead paint in the environment will be healthier, right? And if toxic, uh, masculinity is toxic, then all the kids who grow up without that toxic masculinity in the environment will just be super healthy, <laughs> except the exact opposite is true. So that's the important thing to understand. Everything that goes on is so shaded by the trillion-dollar back-and-forth political grab bandwagon that it's just, ugh, it's just horrendous. It's just horrendous, you know. Whites and white males are just terrible. <laughs> Toxic whiteness, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, okay, we get it. White males are pro-free speech and pro-gun ownership, and they, they vote for smaller government. Yeah, we get it. Okay, just, you know, <laughs> it's, just, it's just demonizing political enemies. It's all it is, right? It's all it is. It's why we can't solve the school shooting issue, right? Because uh, everybody who would fix that is captured or donates to the left so can't can't fix it won't happen right so yeah i mean that's the way i just see it so all the women who are like believe all women toxic masculinity is like okay you just programmed because women vote for democrats and men vote for republicans so blah 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 blah. it's all just a bunch of nonsense right i mean there's no actual analysis it's just political wrangling right so the people who try to grab onto this as a Me Too kind of thing and all that, right? So that's on the one side, right? Now, on the other side, of course, there is uh, the the men's rights. And I say this with a great deal of sympathy for men's rights. I know it's a hot-button issue. I know it gets me in trouble. Don't care. Don't care. You try being me and having your m mailbox fill up with unbelievable horror stories of men in the family court system. Sorry. 
I don't care whether they vote Republican or Democrat, left, right, in between, I don't care. Men are getting chewed up alive in this slow grinding machinery of the family court system. It's horrifying, absolutely horrifying. So, so of course, for a lot of men and women who love men, right? The uh, girl writes what category, right? So for a lot of men, when they see being played out in the wider sphere of society, culture, and law, they see being played out the false accusations. False accusations of abuse. Horrifyingly, horribly common in divorce. It has its own acronym, SAID, sexual abuse in divorce. Sexual allegations or sexual abuse allegations in, in divorce. Horribly common. I've known people, not just online, but in the harrowed flesh, right? So for those men who've gone through these brutal situations where you just get some lawyer who goes thermonuclear on you and convinces the woman to do the same. So for men who've gone through this process, who've seen their fathers go through it, their brothers, their uncles, gone through it themselves, they're looking at this and saying, oh, man, society's got to wake up to false allegations of abuse. From women to men. So th those are the two poles, and I think one of them is specifically political, but the other one is quasi-political, insofar as family courts cater to women because women vote for the left, and right, it's just you know that's the consequence, right? And this is why vetting is so fundamentally important. So, so the verdict came out, right? Verdict came out, and. I don't, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I don't understand half of this stuff. I'll be straight up front with you. Maybe you do, but you can explain it to me. But So my knowledge, limited though it is, is that it's easier to prove defamation in England than it is in America if you're a public figure. So in America, if you're a public figure, you have to prove actual malice on the part of the person. Reckless disregard for truth, actual malice. Right, so basically, if a reporter writes defamatory stuff about you or horrible stuff about you, the fact that you can prove it false, if you're a public figure, the fact that you can prove it fa false means jack shit. Right, you might get a correction, but you won't get punitive damages or damages, right? So what you have to do, again, my amateur understanding, what you have to do in America, if you're a public figure, is you have to prove Actual malice or a reckless disregard for the truth. Now, actual malice is, oh, I know this stuff's false, but I hate that guy. Okay. Well, reporters never going to write that down because they know that's a standard. They're never going to write that down. They're never going to tell anyone. Even if it's their motive, it's never going to be provable because they know that that's a standard that will screw them, right? If they write down, oh, I know this stuff's false, but I hate that guy. I want to destroy him, so I'm going to write it anyway, right? They're never going to say that. That's not a thing. That doesn't happen, right? That's the kind of thing where once you identify that standard, it'll never happen. A reckless disregard for the truth is like, I don't know, you didn't vet anything, you didn't check anything, but that's real hard to, to prove as well, right? What is a reckless disregard for the truth? Yeah, not really an objective legal standard or whatever, right? At least it's hard to define. Whereas in the UK, it's, um, I, I don't think that those same restrictions, I think it just has to be a false and, you know, some sort of measurable and objective harm. Now, the measurable and objective harm that Johnny Depp received because of these allegations, I mean... He was thrown out of, uh, was it Fantastic Creatures? I mean, he can't get any work. I mean, this is one of the most popular movie stars in the world. Now, admittedly, he's aging out, and his former 
you know, sultry, Cherokee, gorgeous, youthful face and figure have been replaced by a bit of an aging shoe leather wino thing that's going on. But, you know, nonetheless, you know, actors can get roles uh, uh, as they age, uh, even actors renowned for their physical beauty, such as Johnny Depp. I mean, the guy obviously is a very talented actor and performer and so on. But yeah, I mean, the, the measurable, the, the, the economic damage that has occurred to him as a result of these things is, uh, I mean, horrendous and, and very specifically measurable. And this is tough because I think, I think he faces a pretty massive tax bill. I think he had some accountants for which there seemed to be some hinky stuff, and I think that's wending its way through the courts as well. But the guy faces a huge... Oh, somebody says uh, malice is a required element. Reckless disregard can show malice. Yeah, I mean, you could infer malice, but uh, again, you're then two steps. You've got to define reckless disregard and then how it infers malice, and things get pretty sketchy, right? Um, so, again, I know it's civil, not criminal. Nobody goes to jail, but you've got to pay a lot of money, so it's preponderance of evidence or 51% rather than 95% for uh, criminal stuff, which is uh, beyond, proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So... I mean, Johnny Depp's got a lot of taxes to pay, but he can't get a job that pays him any money, right? So, I mean, this pretty he's kind of fighting for his life here, I think. Again, I don't know, right? This is just sort of my, you know, circle by understanding of it, right? I think he owes a lot in taxes, and if he can't, if he can't make money as a film star, he's got no chance of... It's not like his album's going to sell, right? Just Hollywood winos or whatever it is, Hollywood vampires. So, yeah, I mean, he's really fighting for his life, and this has been going on for, what, six or seven years, this, this whole thing, right? So, yeah, the false, the false allegation thing is really touching a nerve. And there are, of course, there are, of course, many, many, many people who have gone through this ringer and watched their ex-wives or sometimes even ex-girlfriends if you're in a palimony situation they've watched their ex-wives and ex-girlfriends just kind of sail off into the sunset while they're you know struggling to stay out of jail and oh man it's just it's brutal right the Dave Foley stuff and and uh all that it's just uh, it's unbelievable um what uh, what can happen so um so these these um these false allegations so I'm, I'm gonna just read some of the um details about this sort of false allegation stuff. Now, I don't know why. Honestly, I don't know. I have a theory, which I won't get into here, but I don't genuinely know why, if anybody does have more insight into this. Okay, why the hell did she sit down with, I don't know, whatever group it was, the ADL or something like that. Why did she sit down with a group and write this op-ed about domestic abuse in the first place? Why? I have no idea. I have no idea why. But that's kind of what it all, uh, what it all uh, going. So, so here's the issue, right? I'm going to read from the New Republic. Um, uh, so the evidence in the case strongly suggests that Heard has told numerous significant lies and largely mis misrepresented her status as a victim of abuse, whether or not the op-ed at the center of the trial meets the necessarily high standards to constitute defamation. You don't have to hate women or love the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise to honor deep misgivings about Heard's credibility. The evidence on offer is difficult to discount. Multiple audio recordings, some recorded as part of a therapy assignment, others surreptitiously by a second party, feature Heard, Amber Heard, admitting to hitting Depp 
and refusing to promise to stop instigating physical fights, calling him a fucking baby for attempting to defuse volatile arguments by leaving the room over his pleas that there can be no physical violence. Trying to get him to stay in the room during a fight by saying she'll die if he leaves. Admitting she hurls pots and pans when angry and mockingly saying that no one will believe him if he goes public as a victim of domestic violence. Multiple witnesses describe personally seeing Heard physically assaulting Depp, including former estate managers and several former security guards. Heard's former assistant recounted the actress once spitting on her. After one contested incident that resulted in part of Depp's fingertip getting sliced off, there's an audio recording of the security team discussing which of them should escort Heard by plane back home to Los Angeles and whether it should be someone better at mollifying her anger or someone strong in case she, quote, kicks off. An independent medical examiner, subsequently hired as an expert witness for Depp's side, testified that Heard's symptoms were not consistent with PTSD but were consistent with exaggeration. Meanwhile, Heard has described horrific and frequent beatings and rapes at Depp's hands, a pattern of violence that apparently left her in fear for her life. Heard has contended that Depp's abuse left extensive injuries and allegedly uh, occurred in the presence of multiple witnesses. She hasn't come close to persuasively corroborating these claims. Multiple people who had contact with Heard in personal and professional capacities, including several medical professionals, simply didn't see evidence of the injuries Heard describes. Photos and videos that she's entered into evidence have documented Depp's problems with drugs and alcohol use and ashamed post-bender apologies concerning episodes of property destruction and a toxic pattern of mutual name-calling. Her photo evidence of injuries, however, are decontextualized and simply not in league with her descriptions of them. One picture she has said depicts sorry, one picture she has said depicts her face with two black eyes, a broken nose, and a split lip. Doesn't obviously contain any of these things, save for a small mark near one eye that could have any number of plausible causes. Her most significant eyewitness is her own sister. Whitney Enriquez, whose former colleague and roommate, has claimed that Enriquez had apparently moved out of Depp and Heard's home because she was scared of her sister and contemporaneously confided that Enriquez saw Heard attack Depp, not the other way around, an account corroborated by Depp's bodyguard on duty. So, I'm going to guess that's probably why it uh, played out the way it played out with the verdict coming down today. Now, again, I don't know why this thing happens, um, but uh, she was he was suing her for 50 mil, I think. She was suing him for 100 mil. And let me see here. I'm just going to get, maybe it's changed a little bit, or there's a better explanation since I last read about this. But um, let's see here. Yeah, a jury ruled in favor of Johnny Depp in his defamation case, but also... Uh, gave her some cheddar as well, right? So, seven-week trial, seven-member jury ruling in favor of Depp, awarding him $15 million over his defamation case against his ex-wife. The jury also awarded her $2 million, finding that Depp had defamed her through his attorney. So, 
forward. That's interesting. So, yeah, I mean, are they going to appeal? They probably are. I don't know why you can get someone who you're suing for defamation who is countersuing you for defamation, how you can both win. I don't know. I don't understand. I'm not a lawyer. So I don't really understand that. If anybody knows, please let me know. But I don't do as many interviews with lawyers as I used to do. So uh, that's uh, that's the way it is. So, But here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. Look, there are two people who had miserable childhoods. I don't know much about hers, but his for sure. You know, violent mother who was crushingly depressed and his dad vanished on them and so on, right? Just a very, very horrible childhood. He was sneaking his mom's pills when he was, I think, 10 and got into drugs in his teens and all that kind of stuff, right? So it's a pretty horrible childhood that he went through. And... You know, it it is kind of sad that, you know, what's that old line from, I think it's Leonard Cohen, it's like everything is broken, that's how the light gets in. There is a funny thing, like creativity comes out of a truly cracked and broken soul. Like you, you smash up a child's soul and what what bleeds out is violence and creativity. And if you have a creative streak, then you become very creative. If you have a violent streak, you become fairly criminal. That's, you know, you you, you smash the soul egg and out comes demons and angels and oh, clearly these are people with few angels and a lot of demons so was she an appealing person of course not as a person like as a soul was she an appealing person of course not so what did she have going for her physical beauty no question she's a beautiful woman i mean one of the top 10 faces since helen of troy right so a beautiful woman no question was she very talented i don't know I think I saw her in Aquaman, and uh, she was like a wig with a blue man suit get-up. That's as far as I can remember anything about her really at all. But even if she was talented, it doesn't mean, her, mean that she's a good person. In fact, talent can often give you an excuse to be a perfect monster. Because people need you. They need you for their income. They need you to make money for them. They need you for their paycheck. And so it can enable you to become a perfect monster. Talent can be unbelievably destructive for a personality. Talent is like steroids for narcissism. And it's it's monstrous. I remember when I made uh, my first short movie many years ago. I went to the Hollywood Film Festival and there was a panel about how to get into the film industry or something and somebody mentioned Harvey Keitel and one of the women up there was like, oh yeah, Harv's great. You know, oh yeah, we're on a first syllable basis. They're just kind of name dropping and just like, I don't know, it's it's gross to me. It's gross. And so she she's not appealing except for her looks, right? She ain't pretty, she just looks that way. So what does she have going for her? Well, high status, some wealth, but mostly like a lot of crazy women, right? The sex is great until you wake up with a knife at your throat and a badger in your pants, right? Trust me. <laughs> so that's the only thing she's got going for her now with regards to him is he a wonderful guy no oh, like no and, and I, yeah, I say this with some, some, some sympathy for his childhood but the dude's in his 50s for God's sakes you know you should have cleaned up your shit by now right certainly got the money for it so you have two broken people whose 
venom and vanity have been totally steroided up by talents and wealth and fame and looks. And those are the real people. Like what you see on screen, complete fantasy, right? Bottle smashing, drug binges, physical violence, split lips, attacks, sliced fingers. That's the real people. Those, those are the real people because that's what they're doing when the cameras are off. Now, of course, we only know about some of what they're doing because the recordings are on, but some of these recordings were, they didn't even know they were being recorded, right? So, you know, strip away the noise, the glitz, the glamour, all of that. Those are the real people. Mask off, right? You get down to the core. Two broken children with vastly inflamed material wealth, charisma, beauty, and fame. Two children deep down in the machinery of exaggeration that characterizes modern celebrity. But you take all of that away. You have two toddlers desperately at war with their parents lashing out at each other. And this is the price of a lack of self-knowledge. Anybody with self-knowledge, let me speak to the men here, right? Anybody with self-knowledge, we know as men that there are fertility markers that we are going to respond to whether we like it or not. Some of those fertility markers could be different for different guys. Could be an ass man, could be a boob man, could be a leg man, could be whatever, right? But there are fertility markers that will work to destabilize us. Uh, women have. And it's not their fault that women have them. And you know, it's not our fault that this is how we respond. But you've got to know this shit about yourself. I mean, you just have to, right? Otherwise, you're just a three-year-old with a bag full of candy, right? You just eat till you get sick. So your basic self-knowledge is if someone like Amber Heard comes into your vicinity, you got to know your susceptibility. you got to know your weakness. you got to know where you're going to fall. you got to know the cracks that can easily swallow you up, so to speak. Right? I haven't told this story for a while, so I'll touch on it briefly here. I used to go to this uh, on my Sunday afternoons before my modern life. Oh, they were sweet, man. I'd go and do an hour and a half of Ashtanga yoga. And then I would go and get an hour and a half aromatherapy massage. With this unbelievably great Chinese masseuse, man. She was just fantastic. And I was, I mean, you do an hour and a half of Ashtanga yoga. You do an hour and a half of aromatherapy massaging. You are just a puddle of sheer relaxation, right? Now, in the yoga class was, you know, a couple of women who were you know, tense, like with just straight up tense, right? Now, again, I was sing a single guy back this a long time ago, single guy back then. So I always aim high. So I'd chat with the women. I'd chat with the yoga teacher and all that, you know, just see if there was any mutual interest or whatever, right? And anyway, so I was chatting with this one woman. I mean, just 
stunning. Like the kind of thing where I'm a fairly self-possessed guy, but you know, you got to keep your alert about you because part of you is just like doing that wolf whistle, Jim Carrey mask thing, right? And she was all like, yeah, you know, it's interesting that you're an entrepreneur because I've got a great idea for a business and, you know, I just, I need a hundred grand to get started and blah, 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 right? And, you know, part of me could hear my wallet flying towards me like some deranged spermicidal butterfly saying, oh, well, maybe we could get that money together and maybe we could get that business going because then we'd have business meetings and she'd get to know how wonderful you are. She could be your girl. Like just crazy, insane stuff, right? Because, you know, you, you see a 10 and your resources are just trying to escape you. It's like, like watching that alien come out of John Hurt's chest. Must break free or that baby from the movie It just clawing its way out of its mother. Resources must fight free and attach on ovaries. <laughs> We've all been there, right? We've all been there. And I literally, you know, if I had been able to delicately and surreptitiously punch myself in the nads, I would have. Absolutely. Like, you need to keep a little hot poker pincer thing in your pocket to just jam it down and sizzle your nuts off so that you don't do anything stupid, right? And I, I literally, had like, oh, wow, you know, that's interesting. Best of luck, blah, 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 right? And, of course... Whether it was unconscious or not, she's looking for resources, right? She knows she's got the beauty. I mean, if she'd been some 250-pound chonker, right? She would be sitting there saying, I only need 100 grand. Maybe you can get a meeting with me. <laughs> so I was a young man, but I knew enough about myself to like not go down that road, right? Because you know what's going to happen. You're going to somehow raise a hundred grand for this woman, and you're going to say, "Let's have a business meeting." And you know what she's going to say? Yeah, my boyfriend will be there too. <laughs> you know, you know, that's what you're going to have to live with. You know, or she's just going to string you along until she gets the money. Because you know, we're back to the before mentioned. Uh, you never have to pay for dinner, right? So knowing that resources are going to fight their way free of your wallet and land like green vultures on some woman's cleavage, yeah, okay, that's that's just something you've got to know. I mean, it's the same thing with Amber Heard, right? Same thing with Amber Heard. Now, um, you know, I don't know much about Amber Heard other than what I've heard, but bum But obviously she's, I mean, she's a mess. She's uh, just a complete mess. And yeah, see, people say she ain't pretty enough for that emasculating shit. I don't know if you... Amber Heard... Like, Amber Heard is a beautiful woman. Like, I don't care which way you slice, you know, what your... What your like, she is objectively... I mean, it's like saying, well, Salma Hayek, you know, okay figure. <laughs> it's like, no, no. Salma Hayek has a bizarre back flap of a Playboy trucker's fantasy curvaceous fertility symbols of the gods. Salma Hayek looks like some ancient, like one of those ancient carved African fertility goddesses you'd rub on a woman who couldn't give birth to the point where she spontaneously give birth out of her eyeballs. So, yeah. No, Amber Heard is, look, Amber Heard is beautiful and Johnny Depp when he was younger was gorgeous. And, um, I mean, you know, I know more about Johnny Depp's talent because I haven't really, but they're completely messed up people. So, I'm always trying to keep 
me, you, people interested in philosophy, what am I interested in? Trying to keep you safe. Trying to keep you safe, right? So, I don't want you guys to get caught up in anything like this. Anything like this. Man, I had a pretty messed up childhood. I, I was never involved in anything within a million miles of this kind of stuff. Yeah, I had some cantankerous relationships here and there, but, you know, nothing. Nothing within a billion zillion miles of anything like this, right? You know, maybe a little bit of raised voices here and there. That's that's it, right? No, no, no even any name-calling, right? Just exasperation, right? So... Please, I'm on my knees. I'm begging you. Reward the virtuous women. Reward. I, I remember, I think in junior high school, when I first started getting interested in dating, I went after the pretty girl who was not a great person. And I remember there was a woman, a girl, obviously a girl, we, I don't know, it was like 15 or 16, right? A girl who sat next to me. She's a really good cello player, and she wore a T-shirt that said, Cello Power. Now, you know, I'm happily married now and have been for almost 20 years. But looking back, it's like, no, I should have gone for the girl with the cello power t-shirt. She's probably a super nice person. Was she gorgeous? No. Was she hot? No. But she was a solid woman who would be a great wife and a great mom. Again, just looking back, you know, if you ever listen, ever hear to this, sorry. I was a hormone-based life form with enough testosterone to power... Fukuyama plant. So. Oh, Salma Hayek was the one I was talking about. It's got the general outline of a fertility. Salma Hayek is like, you know, when when I was a kid, you'd draw naked women. And that's basically all you could think of was this ridiculous, like there's no straight line on Salma Hayek's body. So. Please, please. Give the good women a second look. Because, you know, it's really tough. You know, there are good, there are so many good women out there. And the good women, look, they're not super hot. They're like, but it's okay. You're not Elon Musk, right? Neither am I, <laughs> right? So there are all these good women out there. And you know what they do? I tell you what it's like to be a good woman, right? Now, a good woman is not going to push her tits in your face. Right? She's not going to stick her butt out. She's not going to put on a lot of makeup. She's not going to like you know, manipulate you in that kind of way. Because she wants to be chosen for who she is, not because you've got a penis. right? And all the good women, let me tell you, just so you understand. Right? The good women are out there. And the good women see the hot, crazy women. Now, they see the crazy because they don't care about the hot because they're straight women. right? So they look at the crazy women and they see... All the guys, all the guys, circling and circling and asking and this and that and the other. And they know that this woman's a total Venus flytrap that's going to gorge on their penis and leave nothing behind than, other than living in a larder and a puddle of drained regret, right? And so all of these good women, they have a tough time looking at us guys, man, because they just know we just walk into these blenders. You know, we're basically mounting the old school pencil sharpeners saying, oh, hey, I put my dick in here. What happens if I crank this handle? Hurts so good. <laughs> Come on, babe, and make it hurt so good. So the, they're just like, oh, my God, what is wrong with these guys? Yeah, I get that she's pretty, but I'm a good person. 
I'm a good person. People say there's good women, but I still have to be somewhat attracted. Well, I'd question that. I'd question that. You see, we men, like, you know, women are constantly talking about, and I think it's a fair thing, right? So we men are constantly exposed to the one in a million women who look that way. You know, advertisements and TV or whatever is on the internet. Like, you constantly, you see these one in a million women who look that way. And, and you imprint on that. And that becomes your average. Like, you consume women through the media, then hot women, that becomes your average. And, you know, it's like somebody who's addicted to cocaine saying, well, yeah, I could go bird watching, but I have to be stimulated. It's like, don't you think your stimulation's been a little messed up by, I don't know, facefuls of cocaine over the years? So do you have realistic standards for female attractiveness? Do you have realistic standards for female attractiveness? And especially relative to yourself. Because, you know, if you look at most couples end up of similar, similar levels of attractiveness. Right? Similar levels of attractiveness. My wife is about physically is about as attractive as I am. I think she's great. She thinks I'm great. Who else cares? Doesn't matter. And you look at this, right? Now, you'll see some mismatches, right? You know, the millionaire with the whatever, right? So, yes, women... I, I get this. Women also fall into the trap. Okay, for God's sakes, guys... You're like, I hate to say man up because it's such a goofy phrase, but for God's sake, man up. We're talking about men and you want to pivot to women. Well, well women need to change their... Forget that, man. I'm talking to you. If, if you immediately pivot to women, you're missing the whole point. You can't go around changing women's levels of, of perception and attractiveness. You can only work on your own. When I say to you, you need to have a realistic sense of how attractive women are, especially relative to how attractive you are, and you say, well, women have unrealistic standards... You're just dodging what I'm saying. It's a cowardly move. It's a cowardly move. And I say this with love. I say this with respect. And I say this with a deep, near-fatherly desire to protect you. It's the shallow hell thing, right? Find a good woman. Find a woman you can trust. Find a woman who will support you. Find a woman with character. A robust woman. A woman of ethics. A woman of moral strength. A woman you can trust. Now, if you go for the super high-demand Barbie caricature women, they're always going to have other options than you, my friend. They're always going to have other options than you. Find someone... You're the best they can do. They're the best you can do. And I'm not talking physically. What's the lesson that comes out? These are two of the most beautiful people on the planet. Johnny Depp a little bit more in the past. They're two of the highest value people on the planet from a material and look standpoint. And they were literally tearing each other apart 
It was like watching two cheese graters trying to get it on in a windstorm. Somebody says, so true, but I can still draw one line. Can't be obese. Well, yeah, of course. Of course. Like, obesity is a true tragedy. A true tra- Oh, my God. And the number of lies people say. Oh, but I don't eat much, but I still keep gaining weight. No, no. Physically impossible. No, no. Physically impossible. Otherwise, you found some beyond perpetuation motion machine. Perpetual motion machine. You've actually found something where you put in less energy and get out more energy because fat is just stored energy, right? Somebody says, uh, I don't know if this is a song maybe, remember when I was in the grocery store? Now's my time. Lost the words. Lost the nerve. Lost the girl. Left the line. I would wish upon a star, but that star, it doesn't shine. So I read my book with a boring ending, a short story of a lonely guy. It is horrible for women. And listen, guys, you've got to get this. you really got to It's horrible for the good women to watch all of the men chase these pretty evil witches off a fucking cliff. They, they literally want to just slap a silly and say wake up i'm a good woman you know she's crazy you know she's high maintenance you know that she's not going to settle down you know she's got substance abuse issues you know that she's never going to be a mom at least not a good one it is horrible for good women to watch all the men chase these pretty vapid demons right into the meat grinder, right into the, dare I say it, sausage grinder because of a lack of self-knowledge. The pretty women did not earn their prettiness. The hot women did not earn their hotness. And somebody says here, yoga pants should not exist. That's my first law. Fuck women, it's true. Fuck Steph, it's true, but it's so hard not to look at hot women. Yes, okay, look at the hot women. That's fine. Look at the hot women. And say, yeah, that's a hot woman. I can feel that physical response. And your phys- you understand, your physical response is not you. Your physical response, I'm not just talking like a erection or anything but your physical response towards a hot woman is 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 your lizard brain your lizard brain is not you like your leg everyone's got a leg almost everyone right your leg is not you it's not individual to you oh look i have an eyeball what an individual hey man everyone's got an eyeball some even have two your physical response, your lust, your alertness, your attention, your, your dilation of your pupils, whatever's going on for you, your erection, that's not you. That's just lizard brain programmed bullshit. And I got no problem with that. That's fine. You know, it's why we're all here. I get that. But it's not you. And it's not her either. That's just blood rushing around the body. Penis, vagina. 
That's it. Vaginas are as common as noses. Or at least one nostril of the nose. It's not you. Lust is not you. You know, it's like uh, I was filling up gas the other day. God help me. I was filling up gas the other day. And, you know, the convenience store, right? They got a the window and on the window was like one of those really scrumptious photos of a slice of pizza. Right. I wasn't even that hungry. And I look at that and I'm like, oh, my God, that is like perfectly programmed to hit my taste buds. And I literally felt myself drooling. Now, I didn't buy any pizza. I went in, I don't know, paid for the gas, got a bottle of water or something. Right. So. But but I, I know that. Right. That just was my drooling me as an individual. No, they didn't even know I was going to be there. Unless they did. No, they didn't even know. So they just, oh, here's the most attractive picture of a pizza that we can possibly find. They did a whole bunch. They took the photos. They took 50 photos or 100 photos of pizza. And they did a test market with a whole bunch of people sit down. Which do you find the most attractive picture of the pizza? Boom, boom, boom. That's your picture. Right? They're just tr they're trying to hit my salivary glands and my physical reaction to delicious looking food. It's not me. It's not personal to me. It doesn't differentiate me. It's not who I identify as. It's nothing specific to me. Now, I write a book, as I just did, the future, freedomain.locals.com. You get your copy there. You've got to sign up. It's a couple of bucks a month. Well worth it. Plus, you get, I don't know, dozens of bonus podcasts and a pretty great community to chat with. But, so I write a book. Okay, that's me. I do this podcast. That's me. Guaranteed. Nobody else could do it the way that I'm doing it. A boner? That's not you. You know, here's here's my here's my big standard, right? It's my big standard. You ready? Ready to have your mind blown? Here's my big standard. If dogs can do it, it ain't you. Can dogs get boners? Yes, they can. When dogs see food, do they drool? Yes, they do. You understand? It's like saying taking a dump is me. Can dogs take a dump? Yes, they can. It's not you. That's just the machinery of your body. It's like saying I'm an individual and special because of my kidney. Do dogs have kidneys? Yes, they do. Women have asses. They jam them into yoga pants, and sometimes those asses look good. Do dogs have asses? Yes, they do. Do other dogs get turned on by those asses? Yes, they do. It's just base physical level rutting. And again, I'm not hostile to it. There's no big mind-body dichotomy going on here. It's fine. I like a good meal. Sex is wonderful. I'm not, I'm not saying this is bad things. I'm just saying have the knowledge to not be controlled. By nature's blind photocopier. Don't be R-selected. Somebody says, uh, Steph, it's like you're reading my mind through the screen. Today I was just thinking about callers 
who were dick-napped and remembered always feeling baffled that something like that can happen to someone who listens to this show. Yes. Yeah, I remember Jung many years ago when I was reading. I went through quite a long phase of reading Gustav Jung. And he was some older guy got attracted to some younger redhead and Jung wrote, like, he fell happily into this pit. It was a disaster. Left his wife, blew up his... He fell happily into this pit. Yeah. She's got the right curve. She's got the right body. And it's dog on dog, man. It's just mammal on mammal. You're just programmed this way. You're just programmed. Wherever you are programmed, you are not yourself. Programming makes you not yourself. Now, this is programming. Yes, it's exploited by the media and the internet and so on, but it's just wired. We're just hardwired into it. It's just how we're programmed. So the Amber Heard thing is that these are two people who were drawn to each other through superficialities and hated themselves and each other for it. Two people drawn to each other by superficialities and hated themselves and others for it. A woman who puts herself on sexual display, like there's this crazy thing these days, it's been going on for a couple of years, like the short shorts, right? All the girls are in these short shorts. And it's it's ridiculous. Like, like you know, the short's so short you can see the curve of the butt cheek starting. It's like, for God's sakes, just wear a hairband and call it a day. Just just wear a... No. The butt floss bikinis, right? But the short shorts, okay, so the short shorts with the bare midriff, this is the new thing, right? Like, it's like half a sports bra and the short shorts and maybe some platform heels, right? So th that's the new thing these days, right? Okay, so what is the woman doing? When she's got more flesh than clothes and there's no pole nearby, what she's saying is, all I have to offer is everything I have in common with every other woman, which is a vagina. All I have to offer is electromagnetic base ECT stimulation of your balls. All I have to offer is strip mining the legacy of hormones from our ape days. That's all I got, man. That's all I got. And it's 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 really it's really tragic. It's really sad. Because the women who push forward their sexuality will always end up hating you. I guarantee you that. You sign up for that, you are going to get lacerated horribly. The woman who pushes forward her sexuality is, is saying, I don't have any personal qualities that you will be able to recognize, so I'm just going to push forward my tits and ass, right? Now, it's not so much that you're attracted to her that makes her hate you. It's the fact that you're going to have to end up lying about it. Because you're attracted to her for her flesh, which she shares with everyone else. You're attracted to her and will give her resources and date her or try to. 
because of things that neither of you earned. Right? She did not earn her flesh, and you did not earn sexual desire. It just programmed into us, built into us. You know, like you have to work to learn Japanese. You don't have to work to find hot women attractive. That just happens. Like, you know, you go to sleep one day and girls are kind of annoying and you don't want them on your baseball team and you wake up the next day and it's like, oh, rip my own arm off for a date with this girl? Totally. Yeah, I can. I mean, I don't need to applaud that much in my life. Somebody says, I don't understand why this stuff is wrong. UPB doesn't ban any of this. So, you're conflating two things, right? Aesthetically preferable actions, APA and UPB. So, UPB does not ban you from getting involved with a woman who's dangerous and destructive. It may ban her violence, but I'm talking APA, aesthetically preferable actions. So, if you're focusing on UPB, it's, I mean, are you in danger of wanting to rape or kill or assault or steal from people? Probably not. So, forget about UPB as far as your own personal life goes. So, 99.99999% of the moral decisions in your life are going to be about aesthetically preferable actions, or at least the, the ethical decisions. The ethical decisions are, do I date a woman with all these red flags simply because of lust? That's a bad idea. So she'll hate you because you have to lie to her. Because you're only attracted to her flesh. But you're going to have to lie and say you like her as a person. And the fact that you lie to her to get her into bed, she will wake up hating you. Now, it may take a while, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. She's going to hate you. And you're going to hate yourself for having to lie to her, for deceiving her in order to have sex, for becoming a predator. Right? Predators deceive to get what they want. They sneak up, they jump, they... right. And so you are going to have to lie to that woman to get sex. And she's going to know that you're lying, and you're going to know that you're lying, but you're going to get you're going to let lust turn you into a liar, and then you'll just... She'll hate you, you'll hate yourself... It's gross. It's a, it's a bad, bad situation to be in. Let's see here. Just catch up on this. So, give the good girls a chance. Say, oh, well, I'm not attracted to her. It's like, well, there's only lust at first sight. Maybe if you get to know her, you'll find her attractive. Maybe if you get to know her as a person, you will find her attractive. And that attractiveness will last and improve her whole life. You know the hot is going to fade. My God, just look at Amber Heard. She's like 36. Now I get no sleep, trial, stress, blah, blah, blah. But she's puffy as hell and doing strange things with that Kleenex. Seems to be inhaling when she should be exhaling. 
but she's already past her prime, 36. Love a woman's virtues, those virtues will only increase over, over time. You love a woman for her looks, those looks will fade and be replaced by bitterness. Somebody says, do most pretty women hate you for being attracted to them in some way? Uh, so I think what happens is, it, it's a very hard thing, and I have sympathy for pretty women this way, I really do. So for a pretty woman, she knows that she can get massive amounts of male attention, but it's only for her flesh, not for her personality. And the men are going to lie to her. And they're not going to say, I don't care who you are, you're just pretty, and I want to have sex with you. But I don't care who you are. I have no interest in you as a person, you're just, your flesh is appealing to me, right? But no, they're going to have to put all kinds of charm on and, and lie about how interesting you are, how wonderful you are, she's you know, cute and funny, she makes me laugh, she blah, blah, blah. It's just lying, right? So the woman has this superpower called beauty, which will attract men and resources. And men, we don't really have the superpower, so we really don't understand it, right? You don't, you don't understand it, right? But it would be like, if you're a man, and you have to really show off your wealth in order to get any female attention, any female attention, right? So you have to go, you've got to pull up in a Lamborghini, you've got to wear one of those Conor McGregor $3 million watches, you've got to just like, you just got to, you know, you've got to have your, I don't know, cryptocurrency balance, well, maybe not these days, like scrolling on your forehead. You've got to just talk money, talk money, talk money, and if you talk enough money, women will be interested in you. Well, won't you kind of hate yourself and them and feel lonely and isolated and bitter and angry? Like, I got I to gotta, I gotta pay all these bills. I got a champagne room. I got a got champagne service, a VIP room. I got to spread out all of this money, and then women will sit with me. They're only interested in the money. They don't care about me. And let's say you inherited that money, so you didn't even earn it. Because that's like women inherit beauty. They don't earn it. So if you could never get any female attention without throwing around wads of cash, wouldn't you have significant contempt for all the women who were, oh, you're wonderful, oh, you're so interesting. It's like, no, you're just here for the money. So you either go for stuff now and pay later, or you go, you go for looks now and pay later, or you go for quality and you live in beauty for the rest of your life, expanding beauty. Somebody said, you're wrong, Stefan. Women don't have personalities. <laughs> well, uh, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. What you're saying, see, you think that you're insulting women, and maybe you're trolling or just joking or whatever, but, you know, all, all you're telling me is that the women in your life don't have personalities, which means you're just saying women who have personalities, I can't get with them. I can't get with women who have personalities. I can't get with women who have virtues. They're not interested in me. I can get with women who don't have personalities. I can get with broken, subjugated women who don't express any personal thoughts or opinions. I can get with those women. And you think you're insulting women by saying you can't get a quality woman? Women don't. There are no quality women. It's like, well, you're just saying that, you're just confessing that you can't, you can't arouse the interest of a quality woman. And then you think you're insulting women. It's like, this is just Russian roulette, right? So, yeah, if you want to understand pretty women, just imagine if you had to splash around money to get any female attention. You just have contempt, right? 
quality women were washed away by nihilism. Oh my God, just be a leader for God's sakes. Do you think that you just have to take everyone as they are? Do you think I just took, ev- oh, this is the way world, this is the way philosophy is in the world. I guess I can't do anything about it. It's just the way the world is. A lot of spanking, a lot of, ch- I just can't do anything about it. For God's sakes, man, be a leader. Be a leader. You can lead a woman away from nihilism. Be someone strong and inspiring and noble and heroic, and then the right women who will want to go that way will get with you. Just be willing to be a leader. Just don't t- don't take the world as it is. That's nihilism. Saying the world is, is is as it is, and I can't change it. Right? That's nihilism. You're complaining about nihilism. That's a perfect manifestation for nihilism. Well, the women are the way they are. Because of the Marxists and the cultural relativists and the nihilists, the women are... No, they're not. Be a leader. <laughs> I mean, all of the things that you enjoy in this world were there because people took leadership. And don't don't be a leadership sponge, right? And just take all of the great things that leaders have... You know, I'm kind of a leader in the realm of philosophy and you're listening to this show, so it's a good thing someone's taking leadership, right? Even if it's not you. No, no, no. Can you lead a hot girl to be good? No. If you're, lead, if you're only interested in her because she's hot, you have no power in the situation and you're just going to get wrecked. So forget about the hot girl. Go for virtue. Go for virtue. I've said this before, i say it again. Choose your future spouse, your girlfriend. Choose your girlfriend who you get engaged to, your future spouse, as if your children get the deciding vote in who you marry. As if your children think about what is best for your children. What would your children want the most? What would your children like the most? What do they need? The baby doesn't care that much if the mom's hot. What they care about is, is she going to love them consistently and be there for them? That's what the babies care about. All right, I've been programmed for only seven and above. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, look at look at how many women. This is the funny thing, right? Women look at this, right? Look at how many women Johnny Depp could have dated. I mean, virtually half the planet, right? Think of how many women Johnny Depp could have gone on a date with. Think of how many women worship the guy, love the guy, would do anything for the guy. Think of how many women Johnny Depp could have dated. And who does he choose? Didn't she also go out for a year or two with Elon Musk as well, right? And so, the av- like an average good woman looks at this thing and it's just like, oh my God. This guy could have anyone and this is who he chooses. Jolene, don't take away my man. Shitty women would go for Johnny. I don't know. I mean, he had this French girlfriend who said he was real nice and all that, so. I won't go lower than a five or six, though. That's my standard. Okay, but you understand, right? So some women are just kind of plain in their facial structures. They, no matter how much they exercise or whatever, they're just not going to have great figures. They could be relatively slender. They're not going to have great figures, right? So you're five or six. It depends. Okay, a woman who's overweight significantly overweight, well, that's almost always 
bad food choices, bad exercise choices. So that's unattractive no matter what. In my book, right? I, I'm a very active guy, so I just couldn't be with a woman who's overweight. I just couldn't because we wouldn't be able to do anything together, right? So you've got to differentiate the women from things they can choose and things they can't choose. Now, if the woman takes care of herself and exercises and eats well and is not overweight, then she is as much of a 10 as she can be. Right? You can't blame a woman for not having a perfect bone structure, for not having a naturally curvaceous figure. I mean, you can if you want, but that's just genetics, right? You just, it's like blaming a woman for having an eye color that's not quite as attractive to you. It's like bl blaming Asian women for not having green eyes, right? Like the big trouble in Little China style, right? So you say, well, a five or a six, it's like, oh, but if the woman is doing the best she can with what she's got, then she's a ten. The body, too, so again, some women, you know, just thick-waisted and they, you know, they're built like bolts of cloth, as I talk about in my novel, Almost, so you can't blame them if they if they eat well and exercise, and then that's this body they've got, right? Not all men have these, you know, Kevin Bacon narrow waists and like these viper broad shoulders. That's just skeletal to some degree, right? So we're not all Jamie Dornan, right? I mean, that's he works hard at it, but part of the reason he works hard at that is because he's got these great genes, right? So you know, just recognize that you're programmed to celibacy, to functional celibacy. You're programmed to functional celibacy by the endless conveyor belt of one in a million girls the average woman has no hope of competing with. And just be aware of that. All right, everyone. Thank you for a wonderful evening's chat. I really, really appreciate it. What a lovely and enjoyable evening's conversation, he repeated. So freedomain.com forward slash donate. Please, please, please help out the show. It's uh, been a tough, uh, tough couple of years as far as uh, all of that goes. So, yeah, if you could help out the show. I'd really appreciate it. New books coming along. You got to listen to this audiobook, man. I listened to it going to bed. It's an amazing, amazing book. I'm, I knew it was a hell of a risk to write and uh, a hell of a thing to try and pull off, but I have done my Atlas Shrugged and I hope that you will check it out at freedomain.locals.com. And uh, have a wonderful, wonderful evening. I will talk to you Friday night. And thanks, everyone, for dropping by. A great pleasure. Lots of love from up here. Bye.